Bad snap. Bobble. Oh. Scooped oh. up. Here come the Spartans. Touchdown, MSU. From WDBM East Lansing, you're listening to the Green and White Report, a production from Impact Sports. This is your source for sports news, debates, and more for Michigan State, Detroit, and the rest of the sports world. Michigan State. Good morning, East Lansing. How are ya? Green and White Report. Per usual, every Sunday, 11 a.m., it's about that time. Ryan Rabinowitz and Julian Mitchell here with you. Hikaru Kudo behind the glass. Good morning, Julian. Good morning. Good morning. I like that intro. How are you? That's a little Bill Burr, little Bill Burr there. How are you? I love it. I love it. No, oh. yeah. Good morning. Good morning. I noticed you, uh, Julian, popped in the car this morning on the ride over here with a with a chai tea uh, little yeah, drink. Man. There, you're a little under the weather. Little bit, little bit. We're battling through adversity right now. Woke up Saturday morning, and you know, God threw a haymaker right in my face and said, "You're gonna be sick for a minute. You have to fight this off." And so, <laughs> I decided I'd uh, get the chai tea out. Try and soothe the soul, soothe the insides. And... It's like a like Jordan flu game for you right now. This is a flu game. This when I, is a flu when game. we were walking into the studio, there were there were children lined up outside Holden Hall, calling Julian a hero. I, I believe it. I see it. I, I really do. I appreciate you being here. You could be, you know, you, you could have let this overcome you, and but you're, as you said, fighting through adversity here on this Sunday. I morning. could I couldn't let you down. I couldn't let Hikaru down. I couldn't let Hank down. And you know, I couldn't let the little kids down. It's mostly for the kids. We it's do this mostly all for, for the, we do all this for, for the, the children. Kids. All for the children. Wow, such great people we are. Kind of a light studio today. It is. It's been a, it's like you said when we were driving in that this campus has just been dead. And it's, like it kind of yeah. feels like that in the studio right now. <laughs> well, I think, I think when the bye weeks come around, kids take advantage and probably, you know, because after you, after you take four or five weeks in a row of, of being up here at school and spending your entire Saturday watching football and eating, terrible food and drinking you you come to the reality of like well i probably should visit my family sometime (laughs) soon and so usually usually uh students here take the bye week as an opportunity to go home and rekindle their lost relationships with their parents (laughs) and siblings and whatnot so but either either way sunday mornings here on campus uh, it, it it feels like it does like in the summer when you come up here and there's just like very minimal cars around and no one's really walking about and it's just quiet and a little cold and I'm all sad. I'm all, I'm it is almost a sad. sad. It's a gloomy day. It's, it's it's sad. You can almost you can almost feel the regret that many college students are probably feeling from their from their beds as they wake up after a, a long night out on Saturday. But uh, nonetheless, without with, with the light studio, we will. Uh, progress on here uh, by the way i played around the golf yesterday how'd it go it, i was i was actually pretty impressed with myself we uh we played the falcon over there by uh the falcon's part of that group of like the eagle eye and like the whatever i don't know what the other names the, the hawk hollow or whatever so it's a little okay. okay very very cute very cute course you literally roll up and it looks like it's in the middle of like a trailer park just a very very small neighborhood nice and there's this little shack and when i say shack i mean it's a shack and you walk in and skips the guy behind the counter, and it's sixteen bucks. It's a nine-hole course only. The golf carts sound like lawnmowers. It's it's obnoxious, <laughs> and it's kind of like a little link-style course. Zero cart pass though. It's mm. all just rocky, hilly, gross, and and but it was it was fine. I I was nice. I hadn't played golf in like a month. Real pure off the first tee box, you know. Of course, the, as I always say, golfing is a sixty-five percent appearance between your. Clubs, shoes, outfit, 
uh, 20% luck and then 10% uh, putting. That's all golf really is. Uh, I would And agree. then the other 5% is agree. just nonsense and whatever. That's just the other 5% is like manners. Yeah, just, it, you know, yeah. not walking in someone's sure, line yeah. or, you know, as exactly. you go and pick making, up the ball out of the cup, you do the little wave. Yes, I like to hit that. Making sure you're far enough back from someone's back so you don't take a, a three iron to the teeth. <laughs> um, so I, so I, got, I got that done. And we, big, by the way, uh, we're going to move into some Lions stuff in a second here. Okay, all right. The biggest football game of, I think, maybe the history of the sport is taking place tonight at, uh, over at the turf field at, by, by Munn. Seven o'clock. The uh, mm. the Stafford infection has their first playoff game tonight. Big time. And based on how things have been going this year, probably our first and last playoff game. But I shouldn't. You know, I've I've got some weird. It's playoff. Time. I was gonna say, don't think like that, because you know you got to go in. Right. You guys have the LeBron mentality. Like, yes. Screw the regular season. Nothing to lose. Like, what are we playing the regular season for? All I want is playoff games. Exactly. Now you're in the playoffs. You're in the mindset. You know, zero dark thirty. Exactly. Go after it's been it. it's been a heck it. of a ride. We started we were zero and four to finish the year, and I will I will say we did default our last game thanks to Eric Bach being such a tremendous official <laughs> and allowing us to do that because we didn't want to forfeit and lose our playoff eligibility. More importantly, I didn't want to lose my twenty five dollar deposit. That's a lot. Yeah. So I was like, guys, we need to get four guys here so we can we can forfeit the game with class and whatever the default whatever. So we're technically zero and three. And I think we're peaking at the right time. If you can peak with being 0 and 3, 0 and 4, you're peaking. You're it, peaking. it was it was a tough. It was a very tough start of the season too because I uh, I, I was the quarterback at, at first, and and then you know you you lose your job and you have to move on and whatever. It's okay. You know you're I better suited for other positions. Okay, no <laughs> I one made took the, you out. Well, I think people were getting irritated, but like again, <laughs> it's just like same thing with Lewerke and Stafford. I always say it. It's not all the quarterback; it's the guys in the field. I'm not pointing the point and blame. I'm just saying, a little, little tough for me to, uh, to, to shoulder all. I, I just, I do what's best for the team. That's just how I am. But um, right. we'll move into the Lions now. I know Hikaru is was giving me the finger roll. He wants to get moving here, um, so we'll do some Lion stuff. I know Hikaru. Hikaru, he had some feelings about it on the chant recently. Yes, Hikaru had some feelings. We all had feelings about it. We yeah, all had feelings. about Everyone it. did. I just kind of woke up for another day. Um, but I, I will say because I think Hikaru, Hikaru put together a nice song for us. We uh. The Motown Rundown crew uh, was sitting all together on my couch watching that game. Um, some things were said, profanities exchanged. <laughs> uh, we do have a video on that coming out soon that we've been working on. You might sort of saw Dude, the I'm teaser so, on I'm Twitter. so excited. We just got to sit down and edit. This is like a dang Marvel movie. Like I, I feel like I've been waiting for this, and the payoff is going to be tremendous. Are you more excited for this video or, or for Endgame? This video. Oh, really? Uh, a hundred. When I saw... <laughs> Trent, I, I noticed two things in the teaser that got me excited. It was Trent beginning to yell his profanities, and then you just sitting on the couch silently. I think a flag had been thrown out, and then you yeah. just stretch your feet out across the whole couch. And yeah. you're like, somebody just shoot me now. It was, that's just, there's not much you can do. Your body goes limp in those moments. <laughs> um, but I, I, I do want to touch on Lions a bit here because there is no Michigan State football on Saturday, maybe for the better. Michigan State football, Honestly, sco- yeah. <laughs> Michigan State football also scoring as many points as they did last week, so that's good. Let's go on the bye week. Let's it's, go. They didn't get beat on the bye week, Big so that's time. nice. D'Antonio not on the hot seat anymore. <laughs> yeah, we will. We will preview Penn State uh, later in the show, um, but I figured we'd talk Lions just for the sake of. Uh, I I think the heartbreak for me is is somewhat over as far as we all know that's the. Good. Uh, the officiating blunders and whatnot, and I, I I'm kind of all lionsed out because I did all my talking on the Motown rundown uh, on Wednesday when we recorded. Um, but I, I do have a question to ask you because you're yeah. not obviously not a Detroit guy. 
Um, n- not necessarily a Lions fan per se, um, but I you are around Detroit sports talk because it's just the product of your environment. Do you do you believe everyone? Do you do you see what we are feeling as fans when things like what happened on Monday happened on Monday? As far as the referees or just like the lines, like never for whatever reason, just like never getting any calls and always on the wrong side of like literally anything negative that can happen in a football game. Do you see it? I do. I definitely when you know I was first coming here and learning, you know, pretty much the whole Lions fan base and all of what SOL means and just the heartbreak and ups and downs and emotional roller coaster you all go on as Lions fans. I I was def like the Detroit versus everybody thing. I was like, okay, sick. <laughs> like, go ahead, fight the world. Yes. And I didn't get it, but after watching the Packers, I I understand it now. I definitely I don't know necessarily if I'm on the whole oh. The NFL, everyone's against Detroit. <laughs> but I definitely think, like, those, those calls were egregious. And I Thank feel you. like it has happened multiple times yes. to the lines in big primetime-like games. A lot of stuff on the line. It happens. And there, I don't think there's anything else, anything more you could say. But you all were robbed of that game. Thank you. I'm just – I. it's just – it's funny, like just I was curious as to what your response would be because I feel like there's some people that maybe don't believe that are like, oh, these fans are just crazy and they're just a bad organization. And of course, you can never, you can never just blame officiating. But I think in the what was unique about Monday's game is like factually there are things that happened to where your the game was given away to the Packers. Exactly. Point being, obviously the two big Trey Flowers penalties, and I use the term penalties very loosely. Um, but the one stop with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, uh, y- 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 you get a stop on third down, and you're going to force a Green Bay punt, and all of a sudden they now have first down on a phantom call. And then they go and score yeah. a touchdown. So, like, there's your one thing. And then the biggest thing is obviously the the second hands-of-the-face penalty, again on Trey Flowers, who, mind you, is, is Trent Bailey likes to remind everyone when we talk about this, Trey Flowers has been in the NFL for four seasons. I think he's played... I think 60 games was the number. He has never once been flagged for legal hands to the face. He got flagged twice for it in that game. So the second one, with a minute and 30 seconds left, the Lions get a stop on third down. You're now forcing what seems to be like a 48-yard field goal. So granted, you know, let's admittedly here, Mason Crosby might make that field goal, and the Lions are still down by one point. But now you have a minute and 30 seconds to drive the field and score. But it was taken away from you. So it's just amazing. It's just like, of course, you know what I mean? It is wild. And it's it's I I understand what you're saying about maybe it is a little bit uh a little bit too much to be going, oh, it's it's conspiracy, it's the it's the refs, everyone. Yeah, but I think know. it's definitely because like I'm not sitting in it. Yeah. Like you all have to kind of sit and, and we care stew yeah. and care. Yeah. And so this is a question I have for you. Okay. Being the Lions fan, yes. and I mean just specifically looking at this Packers game, can you be realistic in also saying the Lions should have been better in the red zone and should have already like just won the game rather than I mean, obviously referees took it, officials did take it. Yes, but can you look <laughs> at the other side of the coin and also say while the referees took that game from us, we also should have played better? If you're gonna make me look at that side of the coin, I will. Um, y- yes, obviously, and, and that was one of the big narratives that was that was popping up, especially in the in the world of uh, 
of the Detroit media. Is yeah, like, I was gonna say, is it someone who who likes Valenny as well? That was Valenny's take, right? And and that's I was a little bit outspoken about that on Twitter because I just think you know, uh, credit, you know, I I love Mike Valenny, I really do. His kind of shtick is you know he likes to take the very cynical approach, especially with the Lions, because that's so easy to do because uh-huh. they've been bad for so long. But I just took it as of of course. The Lions had five field goals and a touchdown, which, you know, you can make the case you got to get in the end zone, which I agree, you do. The first, they, they do the the flea flicker first play of the game, which was beautiful to Kenny Galladay. You get all the way down to the red zone and you get three points out of it, which is like, you know what, good start. You would, it would have been great to have a touchdown, but whatever. There's a couple other instances, again, like there's a turnover on a muffed punt um, that that could have resulted in seven. It didn't. Yep. So, yes, there are things that I look at and go, you know, one of the bigger stories all year round has been um, you need to get more points out of the red zone. You need to start getting seven more often. You can't settle for five field goals. But at the same time, when you're playing, I look at this as like this. You're playing the Packers, which is a division rival, a team that's had your number for years, and not, yep. that's not really the narrative anymore. You're at Lambeau Field, a little cold, a little damp. Uh, it's it's Monday Night Football, and you're playing the best quarterback to ever play the game. So to be to only lose that game by one, considering all things, I'm like, I, it is what it is. Like a win's a win. That was supposed to be a yep. win. I felt like the Lions. I I was saying in the moment after they ended up losing the game, I I, I almost felt like I was watching them lose after like the first quarter that they were progressively losing quarters two through four, which is just not the case. And that now that I take a step back, they actually played a pretty good game, but yes, there's always things you could look at. That's why I was mad at Valenny. I was like, you know, you're saying these things like they, they could have played better. Well, like, yeah, I would have rather the Lions scored 78 points because they probably wouldn't yeah. have had to have been in a position like that. But they didn't, and that's just football. But, yes, there were things in the game that I always look at pretty critically of just like this chair, by the way. is every uh, week. Yeah, just making every noise, week, man. Every week. But, but I digress. <laughs> I digress. Um, but, yes, it was just frustrating because it's like you you can only expect so much from the Lions, and I think if people – it's just this weird narrative of, like, you know, do, you, do they stink and do you hate the Lions as an SOL or, like, is somehow the team now magically good enough where you're mad that they didn't finish off the Chiefs and they didn't finish off the Packers. So, I don't know, but that's just – we're on to Minnesota. That's how I. That's how we ended. Go. That's how we ended the show, the Motown rundown when we record on Wednesday. We're on to Minnesota. What am I going to do? Exactly. Exactly. And like it's it definitely sucks. But I will. I mean, the Lions are a good team, and that's Thank just factual. You. I, they are a good team, and that that's. A I'm fact. glad you. I'm glad you said that twice. Thank you. I hope everyone's listening to that. Everyone here, it, the Lions, the Detroit Football Lions. Yes, are a good team. It's just, it's just the narrative for so long has been that they are terrible. So now I think that's one thing, and, and we were saying it when we did our show before the Packers game, was the Lions have a legitimate chance here to make people notice because they, I mean, you know, the Arizona game was whatever. They tie the game like it looked bad. They looked great for two, three quarters, then it all kind of fell apart. It is what it is. You know, you pick up your, your couple of wins there. Um, you know, you lose the Chiefs, but you play the Chiefs to their their best game that they've had to play all year. And whatever people saying that they gave him the blueprint now on on how to beat the Chiefs, yep. and then you do the same thing to the Packers. You play them pretty well. So we were saying a win against the Packers really makes people notice. And I think now people notice the Lions and they hear the Lions' frustrations, but also see the Lions as a good team, as you said, and maybe in a different way than you would have liked. You would have liked to have seen an actual win, but 
Whatever. I'm yeah. glad you said that. And I think that's that's what it is. I think, you know, losing that game not only showed people that the Lions are a good team, but, I mean, I think you all got the spotlight because they were just bad calls. Yes. And I, I think that's just through and through. They were bad calls. It was horrible officiating on a Monday night primetime game. You got the best referee crew out there. Calls have to be better. And that it just is what it is. But it, it's on to the next one. The Lions are good. You know, the offense looks good. They're taking shots. They're aggressive. I think this is this is a different team th- than you've seen yes. the Lions be before. And that's it's that's the one thing that you're kind of waiting to make sure is a concrete thing. Like it, it, you And you have to show it against Minnesota today because it, at this point now, you, you really can't afford to lose many more games. Not that I, I mean they have, what, two losses, so saying that is a little bit ridiculous. But division-wise... You got to beat the Vikings, and I like Kirk Cousins. He's a Sparty, but uh, doesn't scare me. Doesn't yeah. scare me. Walking. This might be the game. I I definitely think you look at the Chiefs and you look at the Packers, and obviously the Packers doesn't go their way not because of how they played, but I felt like the Lions have needed that just statement win yes. for themselves to show this is a different Lions team. And you would think maybe the Packers is that win, but maybe it's the Vikings. Maybe they just respond from all the bad officiating. Right. And then go off against the Vikings. And ho- yeah, and hopefully, hopefully that's the game today, one o'clock. Lock in, stay tuned. I'll be racing home to go finish that <laughs> one off. Um, I I do want to move into something else here uh, on, on the football. Yeah, we'll put the kibosh on that one. Uh, we'll move on here. I do want to throw the number out before I get rolling here because people might want to weigh on. If you want to talk about the Lions, I'd love to talk to you. Um, but we're going to talk about some of the uh, Michigan State football, tr- the transfer situation here. Uh, I think Julian and I are on two different sides of the spectrum with our opinions on that. Uh, to call the show, 517-432-3893 is the phone number, or text us at 517-884-8989. You can tweet us as well at WDBM Sports using the hashtag GWReport. Okay. All right. So, as of late, and this was a bit of a uh, a, a a bit of a last minute addition here because uh, we re- originally didn't plan to do this, even though we were talking about it for a little bit. Um, but I think after I believe Noah Davis, the tight end, was the most recent. I believe I have a class with Noah Davis too. Really? Yeah. Either way, I guess he won't be in class anymore very shortly. Ooh. Um, but <laughs> uh, after the Noah Davis, I think he was now the sixth. Michigan State football player this year to now a- enter the transfer portal, which I think is a hilarious name, by the way. I just envision them going in like one of those like tubes from Mario, you know, like Mario Party, where they go, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. And, like they just boop, 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 like down the tube, you know, like that's where they I go like that. into, I like a, into that. oblivion. Who knows where they go? Um, but it's something that I, as as time has gone on, you know, I believe uh, Boyer Randall was the first to to enter the portal. I think so. Hayward was soon to follow. I know Ladarius Jefferson, Weston Bridges, Cam Chambers, and then Noah Davis is now this last one. And whatever whatever the statistic is that's being thrown out about, do you know the number of like whatever t- recruiting class, like only eight of the 20 members of like the, was it the, like the 2016 class? Yeah, only like eight of 20 of those recruits are, are, are still at Michigan State. Is yes, that a thing? In the, so in the, in this Yahoo Sports article, in the case of Chambers, his expected departure would mean that 12 of the 20 players from MSU's heralded 2016 recruiting class are no longer on the football team. Interesting. Is that you? Your little laptop's going there? That was Yahoo Sports. That happens. That happens to me all That happens during the Motown rundown That's just unfortunate. Too. Don't autoplay your videos. <laughs> I don't want to watch that nonsense. But that, that statistic is interesting. And, and I don't know, and I think part of this conversation that we have to have is does some of that fall on D'Antonio? But I look at this like, 
like this. Obviously, you know, Boyer yep. Randall's your first guy that transfers, a guy that was actually getting some decent playing time. Obviously, the linebacking core at Michigan State right now is is pretty solid with, you know, you have you have Bocce, um, um Simmons, I believe his last name, right? Antoine Simmons. My, I, my, I haven't watched the team in a week, so I'm now freaking <laughs> out. Um, but your, your linebacking core mm-hmm. is pretty solid and, and set in stone there. Um, so that's one that you maybe look at and go, okay, just the guy that's trying to get another chance. I, I thought he was actually a pretty solid piece to rotate in there, so that one kind of hurt. Then you see Connor Hayward, and you're like, okay, you know, obviously Elijah Collins has picked up the load here. I think people would agree that he's probably the more productive back than Hayward. We were waiting for Hayward to to, to show you something. He, really, he never really did. Then you see Ladarius Jefferson go, and you're like, oh, man, like that's a guy that legitimately gets carries. And, you know, now you're starting that depth chart at running back starting to shrink, and then Weston Bridges goes, Cam Chambers goes, and now Noah Davis and to me, I look at it like this, and this is the reason why I want to talk. I, I I love Michigan State. I love Michigan State football, obviously, and I'm just saying that as a kid who goes to school here, regardless of what my position is to be unbiased on this radio show, which I try to be the best I can. Obviously, I'm not a collegiate athlete. Wish I was. Didn't work out. But <laughs> I look at it like this, and it, this goes beyond football and beyond sports and, and to really to any part of life. When you commit to go – to Michigan State if you're these guys. And I, I want to preface it by saying I don't want to take anything away from the character of these kids. I, to a certain extent, understand you got to do what's best for yourself. You want to yep. get playing time. You want to you know get exposures to if the NFL is that next step for you, you think you can do it. I'm not going to comment on and be one of those guys of like, oh, well, I don't think player X had any chance of going to the NFL, so what's the point of doing this? I get it. But when you sign that paper to come to Michigan State, your coach and Coach D'Antonio in this program is saying, we are committing to you. We want you to play here, whether you're going to be a starter or a reserve or you're going to spend four years here and never play. We want you to know this is what you're – and I'm sure those conversations happen as far as the expectation. We want you to play here at our school. We're going to we're gonna allow you to go to school for free. Uh, you're going to get meals paid for. We're, we're going to – we're going to give you transportation to the games. You're going to be getting all this sweet gear, and you're going to get to come out of here with a degree, hopefully, if that's what, what's in line for you, and from Michigan State University, and you can say that you played college football. Tremendous. They're committing to you. When you sign that paper as an athlete, you're making the commitment to the school. Like, you're going to provide this opportunity for me. I'm going to be here and do this with you. You know, I'm in it with you. So when I see these guys transfer – Part of me just feels like it's it, it's just kind of disrespectful. And, and I don't know if it's a larger commentary, and I hate to be old guy in the chair here, of like just this larger commentary of just the way that, you know, you know, like kids or people are wired these days. Everything's so just like there's no commitment to anything and everything's so, you know, just, just fleeting and, and whatever, whether it be relationships with people or, or not or, or football teams. It's just kind of irritating to me. It's like, like you guys really like you don't like. Why don't you man up and go fight for a position? That's that's the maybe the competitor in me and just how I was as an athlete. And it's like when I you know when I coach my kids now that I do fight for your spot. Like you're not getting playing time, Cam Chambers. Like maybe step up. I don't want. I don't think that anything's going on as far as like him being. I don't. I don't know what's going on behind the scene. I mean, there's deeper issues there, but I'm looking at that like. I mean, isn't there a certain point where you got to go man up? You committed to be here. Go earn your jersey. That's the thing. And if you're going to quit and be a baby and go, oh, I'm not getting playing time. I'm out of here. 
like it's just it's it just looks bad to me. I have a very different belief. Uh, I stand on the side of kind of like you said, uh, you do what's best for yourself in this situation. And just beginning with, you know, the commitments. I don't believe it is a true commitment because I definitely from my point of view and from what I understand, I feel like every time a coach or recruiter walks and speaks to a recruit, they do everything they can to make them feel like they're the only one they want and the one they're talking to when that's just not true. And I think a lot of people get caught in the fact that they're like, oh, they want me. They're going to start me. I'm committing for four years of great moments, great memories, playing for the football team. I get to wear my jersey when, honestly, you're just another cog in the machine. Sure. Like, let's just be honest. And college athletics is what it is. It's basically a bunch of players making money for a few people. They don't get it. I mean, I don't. I personally do not feel like it, this – it's not high school ball or, you know, lower level ball anymore. You're not necessarily, it's not 100% now playing for the fun of the game. This mm-hmm. is a business. And if it's a business, then I firmly believe that players have the right, if they're not getting the playing time they want, if they're not feeling how they think they deserve to be felt and they want to go somewhere else, then why not? Like, if you're just going to be a number three or a number four running back and you're just going to be a practice guy who's like, oh, we really love having, you know, he isn't, you know, the player I'm talking about, but we love having Ladarius on the team. Yeah. Because he's really great and he challenges Elijah Collins. He makes him a better back. That's not why I came to Michigan State. I came because you told me that I was going to get playing time. I came because you told me that I was going to be able to wear this jersey on my back and have my mom see me in the stands. But that's not true. Okay. I hear you. You know, it is, it is a, it, it's a, it's tough because we're not in their shoes, right? Like exactly. that's and, and so you don't know what the deeper issues are there. Of maybe it is like an internal thing of just not getting along with coaching staff or whatever. Um, but it is, you know, and I'm not. I don't want to be the guy to sit here and tell people like how to feel or like you're condemned to the. Because I think now as as we've gotten as we've progressed through the years, you kind of see like the players almost pushing back and like taking what's theirs. That's why you see, you know, I feel like. Maybe, you know, 30 years ago, obviously we would have no idea, but you probably didn't see like the contract holdouts and the guys not reporting to camp or like your Melvin Gordon to like, I'm not going to play till I get paid because, you know, I we talk about this in my sports business management class of the ownership. And obviously now we're talking professional level. Owners look at players as depreciable assets. In the sense of like, you know, the the value of these players is not in the player. It's in the contract and the money behind it. So I definitely understand what you're saying as far as, you know, that that thought process of if you look, if you're not getting the opportunity you think you deserve, you got to put yourself in the best position to succeed. You know, I I think where my pushback is a bit of I'm just again, like I said, I'd like to see these guys stick around here, make the program better and deeper and push guys for their spot and maybe go earn the jersey. But I think that the the bigger issue here or the bigger conversation is to think like, is it a D'Antonio problem? Or is it are you looking at this and thinking like, wow, you've had six guys transfer in the last week or two. Um yeah. and whatever your stat was about, you know, only eight of the twenty guys are are are, are still here from that recruiting class. Is there a deeper issue at Michigan State or with D'Antonio, or is it just a sign of the times? I mean, this this transfer portal thing is a newer 
ordeal and it's there's much more leeway now um but i i want to get your thoughts on that i know hikaru wants to jump in here too but i i will start with you is there a deeper problem here at michigan state i don't think so i don't know if it's i don't think it's a locker room thing i think i mean if you look up and down this list it's guys who weren't getting i think the touches they thought they deserved especially a guy like Ladarius jefferson like you said he was getting some carries but he probably looks and views himself as a number one back somewhere else and if you're not getting that then go and find it where you want i i look at them a lot and even though people are going to say they're different because they get scholarships okay. and they get gear and whatever right they're just the same as us yeah like when i go and i pay my tuition and i confirm my attendance to michigan state by that same technicality i'm committing to michigan state I'm committing to spending four years here. But if I come here and I'm not getting the education I think I deserve, or I don't feel I'm being treated the way I, I uh, want to be treated, I have the right to leave and transfer and go somewhere else. Like I feel They shouldn't just because they have a jersey and they have gear and they get a scholarship to play here, I, that doesn't fully commit them to be attached to this program forever because once they leave here, if they're just another cog in the machine, their name's not going to be remembered either way. Like, say Legereus Jefferson stays here for four years and he competes and he fights on the practice team, but he never gets a start. No one's going to remember Ladarius Jefferson because he was a hard worker in practice. Right. No one's going to remember that. And I think the thing is, like, there's not enough time anymore to sit around and compete and wait for your spot to open. These guys have four years, if that, if they don't get injured, if everything stays how it's supposed to be. You can't sit around and waste your four years sitting on the bench, and there are some people who are happy to do it and yeah. some guys who are happy, and I think that's a, a part of, you know, personally knowing yourself and knowing your role and knowing, like, oh, I'm not a starting guy, but I really do enjoy being on the scene. There are some people who completely have self-acknowledgement and understand who they are and what their role is. But there are some people who understand their role and say, I'm a number one guy somewhere else, and I'd like to test that. And I feel like that, to me, is honestly, in some ways, a little bit more competitive. You're betting on yourself 100%. Yeah. And maybe, yeah, you're not competing here in Michigan State to stay, but the fact that you're going to say, I'm going to take that bet and know in myself that I'm a number one player and I know I can be somewhere else, I, I say take the bet on yourself. I don't think it's anything against the program. It's you just knowing who you are and right. where you want to go F and where you want to be. Fair enough. Fair enough. Akar, you want to throw your thoughts in here? I agree with Julian. Okay. I agree with Julian. I don't think it has anything to do with Antonio. I don't think it has anything to do with specifically Michigan State. It's just the fact that if you look at all, most of these, all these transfers, I should say, they're not starters. They're not the people, who are the key players that are playing on the field that it's making a positive or negative impact, right? Sure. These are all guys coming off the bench, and like Julian said, these all guys are working in practice. So if they think that they're going to have a better bet going to a different institution, a different program, let them. In other words, I don't need you here. <laughs> You're not starting on this team. Coach doesn't think, that you're good enough to start on this team at the level you are. If you want to start, you're going to work your butt off in practice. Right. You're going to earn that start. And if you don't think that you have time to give your commitment to this program, then you know what? For me, as a fan, from a fan's perspective, go. <laughs> Curry go. wants him out. Wants I'll, him out. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take a recruit that's, you know, let's say there's a four- and three-star recruit, four-star recruits leaves, right? and we have a three-star recruit incoming, but this is the hardest-working recruit you've ever had, I'll take that guy any day because at least he'll give me the effort in practice versus someone else is thinking of leaving the program before they even putting themselves on the transfer portal because that means they've been thinking about it for a minute, right? Sure. It's not like, oh, I wake up today. You know what? I'm just going to go to a different football program, you know? <laughs> you know? So that's my, that's my thing. That's why I'm with Julian here. It's 
If you think your talent is worth somewhere else, then it's on you. It has nothing to do with D'Antoni. It just happens to be when Michigan State's at a slump. And here's my other thing. If you're not getting playing time with how Michigan State's playing right now and you want to leave, then let's just think, what kind of program can you get into? And I'm not going to answer that. It's just a question I want to put in the air. Right, and it is, you know, it is kind of that theory of, you know, people like the old school coach of like, you know, get get better or be bitter or get better. You know what I mean? It's either one one or the other. So it is it is interesting, and I, I I think you guys both have very valid viewpoints, and I'm you know it'd be nice to hear what everyone else thinks too, uh, if they want to weigh in on that. But obviously, I don't really have any ill will towards these guys. Like yeah. it, it could be very knee jerk of me to go, okay, well, like screw you guys, get out of here. Because I do, like I said, I think these are all. I think what is a little bit disheartening is these are all guys who, while yes, they were not starters. They make your program deeper. Like Cam Chambers is a 100%. playmaker. Weston Bridges had to seemingly a bright future here. Ladarius Jefferson has shown you some great flashes. So, and I think why people get uh, a little bit upset over it was, you know, D'Antonio has prided himself on, you know, you're not getting these five star guys, maybe three, four stars, but they're going to come here and grind and they're going to work and they're going to develop. And so maybe to some, D'Antonio's failed with that group. Um, but I don't know. I, I would I would probably agree with both of you in saying that I don't think it's a D'Antonio issue or a Michigan State football issue. It's just a sign of the times. What a world we live in. But before we go to break here, I know we have had Adam Baker sitting here for a good half hour now after after we uh, dragged him to the studio. So we will move from uh, one facet of Michigan State football to another facet of Michigan State football. Adam Baker, good morning, my friend. Oh, we'll get your mic oh, on, Carl. Yep. We need it. We need Adam's mic on. Carl got fired up there. He was. He was. He was feeling it. He was mind. feeling it. Not the shy good, tea. Good morning. Good, good morning again, Adam. Oh my gosh, that was so my Thanks bad. We were Henry on. and I are working back here, so it's okay. Sorry. Get some. Get some. Get some coffee in you. Uh, our Michigan State men's soccer expert, Adam Baker. Ooh. Um, Saturday's win against Ohio State, big one, Adam. I like to see it because not a tremendous year for the Spartans on the soccer field. Uh, what are your thoughts on Saturday's win against Ohio State? I think it's huge for the team to finally get that first home win. You know, like right. You never want to have home struggles. It's all about defending your home field. So for them to get it now, it's it's a good time to get it because like the, Michigan has Michigan State has always felt better than their record projects. Mm-hmm. They're three seven and three now, but I think it's it can be a big momentum boost heading into the back end of the conference where they're going to have some tough games. So to get this win now and a pretty a pretty comfortable one too is going to be good for the team. Yeah, and I felt like throughout this year we've consistently been talking about the holes this team has, particularly with scoring and not finishing off goals and the put-up three against Ohio State. I want to ask you, looking at this season, um, 13 games in, have you seen improvements and is there anything now? I mean, 3-7-3 and three doesn't look like it'll be a huge postseason berth, but is there anything you can say that will show signs of a future being bright for the Spartans, particularly next year? Yeah, well, the conference record isn't bad, the 3-1-3. and Two, I believe. No, three, one, and one, I believe now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a good sign. The offense has gotten better. Obviously, Baroni's been out for, he's only played 45 minutes all season. And coach was talking at practice, like, you just can't replace him. You just have to kind of make way with what you have. So, yesterday, to see my, Michael Miller be involved in all three goals, get a goal off a set piece, Connor George get his first goal of the season as a freshman, so his first collegiate goal, it was good to see. And I do see improvements with the team. I think Farai Mutatu has really came into the season. 
he was a little more impatient with himself earlier. But now he's been involved heavily with the offense. He scored again yesterday. Johnny Ferry's really coming along as a freshman, and Connor George as well. So there has been positive signs with the offense. And heading in, they have two more in-state games to end the season. So I think, yeah, it's a, the offense is really coming along at a crucial time. Do you feel like the the recent successes have been more so of just like like look it it takes time for guys to gel and mash and the chemistry to build or is it more of an X's and O's things that that maybe Rensing had to figure out through a couple games here? I don't want to say it was like an X's and O's things because like tactically like you had to play some players in different positions due to all the injuries. Sure, like you had. Woodruff, who's now playing defensive mid, was playing center back while Nielsen was out. So to be able to move him back back up there helps the teams. Like the back line's been able to find their way. Offensively, I think there was a lot of like a, trying a, with all the freshmen trying different front lines, seeing who meshes, seeing who can play together. So that does take time, and I think yeah, the team's starting to come into it. Which yeah, it was always going to take a while for so many right. freshmen when you had two seniors lining up to get there last year. And so, Adam, I think you look at it, four games left uh, this season before Big Ten tournament stuff starts up. If you're Coach Rensing, Rensing and the team, obviously you've been in practices, sat and listened to Coach Rensing speak about it, what would you like to see by the end of this season? Well, I definitely think you want to, you really want to win the Oakland and Michigan game because I talked, talking to him before the Western game, I think a month ago now, the first goal is to be the best team in the state. And they didn't get the Western game. So to get these two would be a great way to end. And, of course, Michigan's just a big rivalry game. And I think what you want to see going into the Big Ten tournament is really not to give up goals on set pieces. They gave up the equalizer against Indiana on a set piece from half. They gave up the opening goal yesterday to Ohio State on a corner kick. And when you're not, ha- when you're not having your way offensively, the last thing you need to do is put yourself in a hole from a, a set piece opportunity. So as Adam mentioned, four games left to play here. They will take on Oakland at Oakland, the Golden Grizzlies, on October 22nd. That's a Tuesday at 7 p.m. Uh, Big Ten tournament starting in November. So, Adam, we will have you on very soon to talk some more Michigan State soccer. Thank you for your time. Enjoy your Sunday, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. We're going to go to a quick break here. Well, we've been talking for a while. We have been. We have been. Crazy. I've been uh, battling. Shout out that chai tea. Yes, good. Is there any caffeine in that? Like you got a little like extra juice to you or whatever? I like, think there might be a little. Honestly, I don't know, man. I walked over there and they had some orange peel stuff and I was like, I'll try this like that, right? chai with the cinnamon. That orange peel was gross. All right, we'll get to, get the chai and you So we moving. got the chai. A lot more to do on the show here, folks. We're going to have Michigan State Volleyball with our producer, Akaru Kuda, on the other side of this break. We also have Michigan State Basketball to talk about. Let's get go. excited. Uh, the Sparty Awards later in the show around noon. Uh, Michigan State uh, football, because they do play a game next week against Penn State. We have some Major League Baseball playoff talk, and of course we'll finish with the picks. Stay right here, folks. This is the Green and White Report. Impact 89 FM. Bringing you sports updates this Sunday and every Sunday. This is the Impact Sports Update. The Michigan State men's soccer team went 1-1 on the week, losing to Akron on the road Tuesday before defeating Ohio State at home on Friday. The Spartans had three different goal scorers in their 3-1 victory, with junior midfielder Micah Miller assisting on all three goals. Their record now improves to 3-7-3, and they will travel to play Oakland on Tuesday. 
MSU Volleyball won both of their matches this week, defeating Iowa on the road in five sets on Sunday before sweeping Rutgers at home on Friday. The Spartans are now 13-4 on the season as they prepare to host number 8 ranked Penn State this afternoon. Catch the match at 2 p.m. on ESPN. The Michigan State women's soccer team fell to their division rival on Friday night, losing 3-2 to the Michigan Wolverines. The loss drops the Spartans to 8-7-1 in the season as they will now host Maryland on Thursday night. First kick set for 7 p.m. on BTN+. I'm Henry Menegos with your Impact Sports Update. For more, visit impact89fm.org sports. Welcome back in to the Green and White Report. Thank you, Hank, for the update. We're moving along here. Cruising. Chugging along, chugging along. Cruising. Michigan State Volleyball, the man, the only man that can that can give us all of our volleyball needs, Mr. Akaru Kudo, on the mic. Welcome what's, back. What's up? What's up? Welcome back. All right. Michigan State Volleyball started off season pretty hot. I did. Then Akaru had his little rant there. He got on a <laughs> soapbox. He wasn't happy with the service errors. And apparently they've been losing some games. So now after dropping two in a row, they pick up two games, including Friday's game against Rutgers, sweeping the Scarlet Knights 3-0. In sets, I don't know if nil's a volleyball term, if it transfers <laughs> I mean, over. I mean, nil, nil's respectable. I'll take it. Okay. Anyway, your thoughts on Friday's matchup with Rutgers? I mean, it was exactly, exactly what Michigan State had to do. Good. Uh, I was very, I was a very happy boy that day. <laughs> uh, I had to do some court crew duty for uh, MSU. Oh, yeah. Men's How'd that club go? Level. How'd that go? I got to sweep the court, you know, do my little dance. And, nice. Uh, you know, oh, okay. I see you moving those shoulders. Go ahead, Kurt. <laughs> move those go shoulders. Go off, King. You know, and I also got I saw an, uh, uh, an opportunity to get a perspective of you know the game that I don't get every day. You know, I got to roll balls and make sure you know the girls had to go sweep some wet spots on the court. So um, it was it was pretty fun. But I mean, when it comes to the game, they executed exactly what they had to do. Jamie Cox had eleven digs for the day, which is good for her. Emma Monks, who uh, started played her first Big Ten. She's a true freshman. She played her first Big Ten game against uh, Nebraska. Uh, ranked Nebraska, and then she. This was her second Big Ten game she played. She came in the third set and had three kills and three blocks, including a solo stuff in one set. And that's a pretty good number to have. Bianca Kibengili came in. She had a couple kills for herself. Um, but I mean, this game was exactly how it had to be. Meredith Norris led the team as she has been doing all season long. Eleven kills and an ace under her belt. Kronowski had seven kills. I mean. When you look at the numbers, when you look at the court, it was exactly how Michigan State had to execute. They went well with it. They played the game that they had to do, and it was a sweep. I expected a sweep. We were out of there by 8.30. Nice. And, Carl, I mean, we talked about it. Last time you came on the show and talked volleyball, you were very heated. You had a lot of points to make. Obviously, the big one was the service errors. And now they dropped two in a row. I think that was two in a row after your proclamation. Looking at it now, picking up two, look to be a little bit better. Do you still feel the same way about the service errors and the fact that this team, while still very good, all of the errors they and the games they lose come from them not being able to clean up their errors? Are they are they still at that point, or have they begun to clean oh, all those up? They, they're cleaning up pretty well. Uh, and I think it, you have to give credit when they started Big Ten play. Okay. Uh, they played against Penn State. They were ranked four, uh, fifth at fourth or fifth at the time, I believe, in their Big Ten opener in Happy Valley, and that was a sweep. They should have taken the first set, and it was because of service errors. It was a service error that killed that set for Michigan State. I think that was a little bit of an eye-opener for Spartans, realizing that, hey, we have the talent to do this. They have the talent to win. 
they have the talent to be competitive in the Big Ten. They're right now right smack dab in the middle of the conference standings. All right? So in order for them to do well, it's just limit your mistakes. And if you make a mistake, you know, shun it off. Take it off. It's okay. Everyone makes mistakes. Even the best team in the nation makes errors. It's, it's okay. Just recover from it. Make sure they can go. There was only one time, I think the Rutgers went on a mini rally uh, in the second set. But that was the only time I was worried. It was like four or five set. And then Kathy George immediately called a timeout. They got a point right after the timeout. And then it was back to, you know, normal Michigan State activity. So I think this team is looking much better uh, right now. And, you know, of course, uh, going into this Penn State game, I, I think this is going to be a competitive game we're looking at today. So that Rutgers game kicks off a four-game homestand, and you mentioned playing Penn State today. Uh, do, do you see the potential for a little bit of a win streak to build here? Yes. You know, call me crazy, but I think Michigan State could potentially be eighth-ranked, number eight-ranked Penn State today at home. And here, let, me, let me lay it out for you. Lay it out, lay it out. Number one. I think number one, it's very important that you're in Jenison. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's very important you're in Jenison because they feed off the energy. An example of this, every year's Jam Jenison when they play against Michigan. Every year they will feed off that energy that they have in Jam. I think it's going to be the same thing. I think Spartan Faithful, it's going to turn out. That's number one. Number two, you're on a little bit of a positive streak. Not only did he sweep Rutgers as he expected, but Jamie Cox going into the Rutgers game just got her 1,000 stig in her career. She's feeling confident back in the libero position. Great defender. Number three, Meredith Norris has been the most consistent outside hitter on your team. All season long. Double-digit kills for nearly every match she's played in, which is based every match this season. So as long as Meredith North keeps keep, keep killing it, that's one tool that, yes, you had in the first match, but you still have in this match. And now that Alyssa Kronowski's been playing a little bit better, and your middle blockers, especially Nia Gross and Rebecca Pulsia, has really stepped it up up front. Michigan State leads the, uh, the Big Ten Conference right now in blocks in 2.81 blocks right now versus... Uh, Penn State was like 2.4, I believe. Blocks is going to be huge. They're going to have to outblock uh, Penn State. They got outblocked 9 to 6 the first time around. They're going to have to outblock Penn State. But if everything clicks together, I'm not saying sweep isn't realistic. A four set isn't realistic. But a five set win, I think it's realistic. And in addition, you have Emma Monks that's been playing pretty well that Kathy George is not scared to throw in when you're up by two sets, and she can deliver for you. She got, like I said, three blocks and uh, three kills in the third set of the Rutgers game. Granted, it's Rutgers, but she can still kill, do phenomenal things at the net for you. Bianca Kibangili can get really hard off. Lauren Schwartz had a great game uh, against Rutgers. And like I said, Kronowski was still uh, playing well herself. And, if, um, and this entire team is kind of shaping itself together. Lena Schklar is comfortable, very comfortable setting now. And as like a little bit of cherry on top, Audrey Alford is figure, finally figuring out what sets the girls like because obviously you got to adjust into it. And she's figured this, this out the past handful of matches. So now you have two setters you can depend on. You're playing a 6-2 instead of a 5-1 last season. And it's now your Big Ten opener and you're home. On a Sunday, on 2 p.m., on primetime on ESPN. This is the game to give the upset out. And this is the game they can do it at. They just have to have the perfect game. They have to have that perfect game. All right, Hagaru, number four, uh, well, number eight ranked Penn State. I believe they're number four in the Big Ten. Correct. Uh, coming that way, part of the four game homestand. 
also a part of the homestand. Obviously, we don't want to get too far ahead, but is number one Wisconsin in the Big Ten Conference. You say Michigan State can be Penn State. Can they beat Wisconsin? And do you see this Michigan State volleyball team as part of the cream of the crop of the Big Ten? Michigan State, I here's what they say in Michigan, uh, Big Ten. It's, it's, it's a long-term saying. It's a dogfight. Every match is a dogfight, okay? It doesn't matter if you're ranked in the nation. It doesn't matter if you're on the top of the conference. You come out there and you play your heart out there and it'll be the most competitive game you're going to see for that day. Like, period. A volleyball. Or that week or whatever you want to mention it. If they can beat Penn State or at least give a competitive game against the Nittany Lions, Wisconsin's realistic to me. And Wisconsin, once again, it might not be primetime, but it's a Friday night game at a 7, uh, 7 o'clock uh, when, when the game's, uh, match is supposed to start. When set one's supposed to start. It's a nice addition time, right? And right now, I think this volleyball team is the best team on campus. Is the most successful team on campus. And I'm not saying that because of the record alone, which their record is great, don't get me wrong. I'm saying that because of what I'm seeing on the court. I'm saying that because of what I see on the court, whether they travel or home. Yes, are they still rebuilding and kind of rekindling? Yes. But do they have more experience than last year? Oh, definitely they have more experience than last year. Are they playing 10 times better than last? Oh, yes. Is Kathy F? Oh, yes. You're no longer worried about making amateur mistakes. You're now worried about those little nitpicky details that are going to come bite you. Those little nitpicky stuff. You got to take a step to the right. You got to step up a little bit. Your timing is just slightly off. A millisecond, a half a second off. Half a second later, you jump up, you're going to make that block. Or you're going to make that easy for Jamie to go grab that dig. We're talking about that level of caliber now. So Michigan State... Realistically, I think they can win any game from now to the end of the season. That's why I keep saying Michigan State, A, should make it back to the NCAA tournament, and B, they should have a rest of the successful Big Ten. I will be surprised if there's no upsets for the rest of the year. So is 0-2 a disappointment in these next couple of games, Penn State, Wisconsin? It wouldn't be a disappointment as long as they put their, as long as they win one set per match. Okay. Because Ian Drummond and I are also talking about it uh, on our we got a volleyball podcast in the works. All uh, right. But. Shameless plug. Yes, shameless plug. <laughs> but they got to win at least a set against every single one of these Big Ten teams. You know what that does? That shows the opponent. That shows the Big Ten. Hey, we are no longer this team that's going to get swept every single game, every single match. No, we are a team that is ready to show up and play here. We are a team that is not not this not. Last year's team. We are a team with experience, and we have tools under our belt, and we will come cranking in your front door if you screw up and make a mistake. We will make you pay for those mistakes. So Michigan State, they've been doing really well in set number one, too. So they got to start this set one well. Am I saying they got to win this set one if they want to win in five sets? Not necessarily. But they got to play strong off right from the start. And if they do so, I think it's... I think it's realistic to say they're going to win in five sets. Now, of course, the favor is going to be on Penn State's side. They can still sweep Michigan State. They can still win in four sets. But realistically, if Michigan State were to win it in any way, shape, or form, you're going to win it in five sets because I think it's going to be tiring tiring the opponent out and then kind of throwing in a little bit of Emma Monks in there and beyond keeping Geely and then taking Audrey off for a little bit and then throwing her back on the court. I think that's what it comes into. But yes, realistically, Michigan State can win the rest of the season. Realistically, Michigan State will make it back to the NCAA tournament. Spartans and Nittany Lions from Jenison Fieldhouse, the house that Magic built. Today, 2 p.m., be there or be square. Akara will be there. He will, oh, I'll in be a there. suit. 
looking yes. fancy, looking, looking very dapper. nice today. Oh, and I get to call the Wisconsin game next Friday, too. Really? Wow. Look at you. Just big J things. You know, what he some does. light, some light. That's a normal day for Akaru. Akaru, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. thank you for your time. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Of course. All right. So before we go to break here, it's almost noon. People are itching for the Sparty Awards. Itching. Which I will tease as our, I, how do I phrase this? Our Sparty Awards this week are dream stadiums slash venues to watch a game. Any past, present, future, maybe. Maybe. I don't have any futures. Dream stadiums or venues to watch a game. That's coming after the noon break. Uh, basketball. Michigan State basketball, it is here. You it can is. smell it in the air. It seems like it's a bit too early still. Nah, it's basketball But season. given given the uh, performance or lack thereof on the football field, I'm ex- I am very excited <laughs> for basketball season. I know you are too. I'm sure the Impact Is Own podcast will be rolling soon. Uh, basketball had their media day this last week. Yes, uh, you yeah. were there. I know Trent Bally was there. Some some other impactors were also there covering uh, all things media day. Um, some some great interviews articles came out of that. So I'll, I'll, I guess I'll throw a couple rapid fire questions at you. First of all, first of all, yep. As I told you in the car on the way over here, <laughs> I had I had a couple issues that I want to talk about, and and maybe this is you know feeble of me to be getting worked up over Twitter and Michigan State Twitter and Michigan State basketball Twitter, but... You're just the old man in the chair today. I know. I I, I hate it. I hate what I've become. <laughs> uh, Michigan State and Gonzaga had a closed-door scrimmage as they did last year, and yep. it was FBI-guarded, and there were drones flying over top. And, and everyone, even though it's a completely secret... A thing. Everyone has a source. Yes, everyone knew about it and <laughs> knows how many points Cassius scored and whatnot. I don't really want to get into the specifics because it is meaningless to me. Um, but it's just that is my point that I want to bring up. I see all these things on Twitter of like Michigan State losing to Gonzaga. It's time for Izzo to hang him up. Like he just can't get it done anymore. Like it's his past his time or uh, got to be a little scary to see that. And like their justification is like Michigan State's the number one team in the nation coming in. How do you drop that game? And I look at you, Julian, and if, I, if you think I'm crazy for saying this, like you got to be kidding me. Do people's brains actually work like this? <laughs> Like, this means nothing to me. This, like, I think if my little brother and I went outside right now and played one-on-one basketball, that might have more meaning than what this scrimmage did with Michigan State and Gonzaga. Is that a fair assessment? That might be a little much. <laughs> Maybe a little bit, but no, I'm with you. I mean, They lost the scrimmage last season, and everyone had this same feeling, and then Michigan State makes it to a Final Four. I mean, right. This. So this, if anything, it's I'm I'm so happy. It should they be lost very happy about this. Yeah. But what a good sign! If anything, the, all these secret scrimmages are is a way for these teams to play higher level competition and work out rotations. That's all. Izzo's going to this and saying, okay, we get to play a good Gonzaga team, get to see what they look like early, and get to work out my rotations. They still are trying to figure out who's even going to play the power forward spot. They got to figure out how minutes are going to work, how much cash is going to play, who's going to come in, what freshman they trust, and the best way to figure that out. Rather than playing uh, scrimmages against the against themselves, doing uh, in team scrimmages, is to go out. You play a good Gonzaga team, get to see what they got, get to see how they're gonna play, and then you work it out there. And that's that's all this is. This isn't because at the end of the day, zero one is not gonna show up in their record because they lost a secret scrimmage. Right. Like it, this hurts absolutely no one. It just allows you to see what you got. If anything, I think it'd be funny if you know of. God willing, if Michigan State were to win every single game this basketball season, then you can look back and go, hey, they did have one loss. 
It was the Gonzaga well, in, in, in a closed-door facility. Um, but you, you, you mentioned that the scrimmage is a lot of working out the kinks and maybe answering some questions that you have going into the season. One of the big ones being, obviously, you know, you lose Nick Ward, which yep. it is what it is. But now you look at the floor and you have you have a spot to fill that other big man position. Uh, obviously, Thomas Kithier is a name that you you throw in that conversation, Marcus Bingham. Um, based on your opinion, but also what you've heard from from Tom Izzo being at Media Day, uh, who would you say is your is your best bet to be in that starting role game one? Well, starting role game one, and I think what Izzo has said and what does it. it kind of surprised me but also doesn't surprise me is Izzo has been high on Thomas Kithier and a big part of why he's high on Kithier and what he has said is that when playing with Xavier Tillman he needs someone who will allow Tillman to work himself to give him that room that space to operate because he's going to be a big focal point of what this offense is going to do and so he wants someone in there who can stretch the floor play good defense um, but allow Tillman room to operate down low and that is the biggest thing I think Kithier offers is he's as solid as you saw all season long. He's a solid contributor yep. who comes in, he plays and knows his role, and he works hard. And I think if you're filling that four spot, you don't necessarily you're not looking for a high, high, high production guy. What they need is they know they have everybody else surrounding the wings, and then you just get one guy who's allowing the rest of the team to operate in space. And so Izzo has been high on Kithier in that role. Um, he did say that you're not going to be, you shouldn't be surprised or shocked to see Kyle Arns or Gabe Brown finish off a game at the fourth slot, doing a little bit of a uh, smaller ball action there. He was also really high on the two freshmen, Malik Hall and Julius Marble. And those are two guys who uh, he compared Julius Marble to uh, Andre Hudson, Houston. Um, long time ago from Michigan, not a long time ago, but former player from Michigan State and compared him to a lot to how he plays. And both of those guys, as Izzo said, they kind of have a very similar way of playing, but also are kind of better in certain areas. Like Hall is a better shooter than Marble is. Marble's a little bit tougher, but he likes where they're both at because he, he compared them both as well, not only to former players, but to Kenny Goins in ways that they are players who stretch the floor, who are tough, and he wants someone who not only can stretch and shoot the three, but someone who can rebound like Kenny Goins did. And that's a big part of it, because Tillman, while he does grab a lot of boards and can pull it down, Kenny Goins was a big part of the rebounding effort. He led the right. team in rebounds last season, and so you look at that, and you need somebody to fill that role, someone who's a, be able to step out, but also not afraid to get their hands dirty and get down inside. And so he was high on the two freshmen. He likes a lot that they're tough, they can stretch the floor, and he thinks they honestly could play a role down the line. Rolling along here with Michigan State men's basketball on Impact 89FM, WDBM East Lansing. Uh, Julian, you mentioned some freshmen there. Uh, my question to you personally, just as a, as a fan of the game and, and looking at this team so far, um, in the very, very small sample size you may have seen, uh, I know Rocket Wass is probably the biggest name that's that's people yeah. are very excited to see. Is he, come the end of the year, do you think he's going to be the one freshman to point to and go, that was the biggest contributor, or is it another one of the freshmen? Ooh, that's a great question. That's a great question. I, um, From what I've seen, I'm definitely, I really do like Rocky Watson, the way he plays, and Izzo was also pretty high on him as a performer. One thing that was really... I guess good to hear if you're a Michigan State fan and someone who's looking at Rocket to have a big playing time, get some big minutes, is Izzo is very high on where he's at defensively okay. and saying that he could be one of the best defensive guards they have on the team. I like that. And as, <laughs> I love that. Uh, he also was very excited about how well he's passed the ball. And I definitely think 
one thing that Rocket did talk about, and obviously Rocket's first year still learning the offense. He said at right. the time during media day, he feels more comfortable at the two right now, okay, compared to the one, just because he's still learning all the plays and still getting used to it all. But for someone who, if he does end up, you know, playing a lot of the two position. That's somebody who, as Langford kind of progresses and gets back into his form, you can play a Rocket Watts. If he steps up, steps up defensively and makes that roll up there, I think you can see playing time from him. And I definitely like his game. He was one who, if you're looking at the scrimmage to project where they're at, he played pretty well in the scrimmage, 12 points uh, for him against Gonzaga there. And so he he definitely seems like a guy. He's tough. He's Izzo basically said that all of these freshmen are ready to play now. They are tough enough to play now. And that is something you look at a Rocket Watts, you look at a guy like that, uh, you're going to need to space out some of the minutes. Winston is not going to be able to play as many minutes as he played last right. season. And so you're going to need some place to divvy those up. And I think Rocket Watts is a good start of that. This is a guy who I think he's going to be really, really good. I'm glad you brought that up because that was another one of my questions too is we talked at length about how many minutes Cassius was eating last year because you really didn't have a second-string point guard to bring yeah. in. And, you know, obviously Foster Lawyer was that guy for a bit, but it's good to see that you have a guy like Rocket and, and, and that Izzo is comfortable and even you're comfortable too with having him take over that at the one if necessary. So my follow-up to that now is should Spartan fans expect to see a bit of a lessened role for Foster Lawyer now coming into this year? It's uh, it's possible. Um, I definitely think if you're looking straight up paper talent-wise – Lawyer's not comparing to the right. guards that are there now. So he's not comparing to a Rocket Watts. But I think the thing is, you look at the way Lawyer played, especially in the Louisville game and later on in the tournament, he was a guy who could run a team. He could handle it. He could handle the load. Obviously, he still had a lot, he has a lot of kinks to work out. A lot of parts of his game that need to be ironed out. But I definitely think Izzo also said this, that he is a guy who can, he can run the team if you mm-hmm. need him to. So I definitely think, I don't necessarily know if he's going to be the next step up. Uh, as some people may have thought he was going to be, that he's going to take the next reign. He's going to be the second, the backup guy now. Rocket Watts, definitely, he has the talent to be that. Uh, the thing is, Lawyer has the experience. and Sure. He, I haven't been able to go around and watch uh, a practice yet to see how he looks, but you would think another year under his belt practicing, he said he's gotten bigger a little bit and filled out, that this would be a time for Lawyer to step up and just be able to have, be somebody who can lead a team and can work it without Winston. This team obviously had an unbelievable season last year. We all know that. It was a pleasure to watch. And you, you kind of look back and you go, wait a minute. This team didn't have Josh Langford pretty much all year all year long. And I remember reading some some things that you guys had too and, and hearing some Izzo comments about, you know, obviously Josh has come a long way since his injury, but maybe Izzo feeling like he's not quite there. And I know Kyle Arns is another guy who was yeah. got hurt real late in the season, obviously it, when the tournament run was progressing on. Where do you see how those guys – obviously I think Langford's someone that you expect to probably start at the two to start the year, but, I mean, how big of a role not just basketball-wise but, but leadership-wise do you expect those two guys to play this year? I think those two guys are going to be – big leaders for this team and one thing talking to them at media day was talking to Kyle Lawrence and obviously he's beginning a new chapter in his life got married um so big congratulations to him um but he took a very big role with Rocket Watts and that was something that he talked about at media day and that he has kind of worked with Rocket on the speed of the game and being one of the I mean Izzo talks about that Kyle Lawrence is one of the best athletes on this team you know Still remains to be seen for me. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, but uh, no. But he's definitely taking that role upon himself to talk to Rocket and about being, you know, such a quick, such a feisty, such an athletic guard and how to work through that. And I definitely think Arns has done that a lot. A lot of guys, and it's something that's off the off the floor. But Langford is 
I mean, if you speak to him, he's a guy who is very in tune with his faith and himself. And I definitely think talking with a freshman like Malik Hall, that has been something that has been a, a big force and a big uh, unifying force between the team is a guy like Langford, who off the court is very good at connecting with people. And it seems like he's already gone you know, out of his way to build these relationships with guys like Malik Hall and stuff surrounding their faith. And I think that's something that you look at this team and you look at where they're going to have to be down the line. This is going to be, looking at it now, probably one of the most unified groups you're going to get. I think this team up and down this roster, I think this is a great locker room to be in. And if you're going into a season with high expectations, you're the number one team. It doesn't get any better than having a number one team that's really, really good in the locker room. Absolutely. Michigan State basketball is set to kick off in just over a week against Albion. The, the Winston brothers all on the same court. That's got to be pretty all, cool. That's that's going to be a really, really good matchup. I mean, you're probably going to get a story out of that. Yeah. That's going to be, everyone's going to have a story out of Absolutely. that. Absolutely. But uh, we will definitely touch on Michigan State basketball uh, to an increasingly, uh, maybe obnoxious amount. Obnoxious. As, as the weeks come on. But uh, of Ooh. course, Julian Mitchell, the impact is own master. Uh, we will. Master, wow. I, I, I'll tell you what, man. Like, I. Talk at Michigan State basketball, it, it hits different. It just hits it different. It does. It does. We're not, you know, sad and depressed and angry. Yeah. You don't have to be angry anymore. Like. Ex- exactly. I'm excited for this season. Uh, we're going to go to a quick break, folks. We do have the Sparty Awards to get to. I will throw the number out one more time if you want to weigh in on anything that we've talked about so far on the show. 517-432-3893 is the number, or text us at 517-884-8989, or join the conversation on the Twitter at WDBM Sports, hashtag GW Report. We'll be right back, folks. WDBM East Lansing, The Impact. Bringing you sports updates this Sunday and every Sunday. This is The Impact Sports Update. The stage has been set for the 2019 Major League Baseball World Series. The Houston Astros enter from the American League after winning their series 4-2 against the Yankees, while the Washington Nationals enter from the National League after sweeping the Cardinals. The first game of the series is set to begin on Tuesday night, with first pitch at 8 p.m. on Fox. The Detroit Lions suffered a controversial loss to their division rival Green Bay Packers Monday night, falling 23-22. The loss drops the Lions 2-2-2-1 on the season, as they will take on another division rival in the Minnesota Vikings later this afternoon. Kickoff set for 1 p.m. on Fox. The Detroit Pistons wrapped up preseason play Wednesday night after defeating the Hornets 116-110. to The Pistons finished the preseason with a 3-2 record as they now look to open up regular season play against the Pacers Wednesday night. Tip-off set for 7 p.m. on Fox Sports Detroit. I'm Henry Menegos with your Impact Sports Update. For more, visit impact89fm.org sports. Ladies and gentlemen, the Green and White Report is proud to present this week's edition of the Sparty Awards, brought to you by Impact Sports. Now, here are your hosts, Ryan Rabinowitz and Julia Mitchell. Thank you, thank you. Thank, thank you very you, much. Thank you. 
Thank you. Oh, what a pleasure it is to be here again with you. The Sparty Awards. That will never get old, by the way. That that's intro, so good, man. One of the best oh things that's ever God. been created for us here. Uh, that's awesome. It just goes to show that we do, you and I do next to nothing, and everyone else behind the scenes is way more important than the show that we are. The, the that's no <laughs> doubt in my mind. Oh, <laughs> shut up. There's, there's, there's no show without you guys. Come on. You're too kind. You're you, too you kind. could definitely run this show. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Oh, no. Everyone's still standing. Oh, no. Please sit. Thank you very <laughs> Please much. Please sit down. Please sit down. Okay. Thank you. This week's topic, dream stadiums slash venues to watch a game. And I will also throw in, you know, part of this is just the atmosphere, the vibe, the stadium itself. This was inspired by watching the Michigan-Penn State game last night, seeing the whiteout, uh, and, and that was, I mean... Do you, they talk about that as being one of the best yeah. football environments, but I just think sports environments in general. So as we were late night texting about what should the Sparty Awards topic be uh, for today's show, um, I think we decided this morning. That's what it was going to be. We did. We did. This morning as I was just waking up and rolling out of bed. I go, hey, we should do this. So uh, dream stadiums, venues to watch a game. I will kick it off here and – I know you are not – actually, you know, I'll save that one for last. I'll, I'll start with my, my number five here. I'll go backwards as far okay. as order of importance, not that there's in any particular order. Uh, I would say the Rose Bowl. I know I was – Michigan yeah. State played in a Rose Bowl recently. I was not there for it. But I, I will say this, as like who's not a, not a soccer guy by trade, one of my – and I, I hope that this, this was at, at the Rose Bowl. The, the U.S. women's soccer team – what is it? Was Brandy Chastain is the name? She took her shirt off and did the knee slide. Oh yeah, one of the most beating, iconic yes. photos of all time. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. at the Rose Bowl, correct? I believe. Yes, so. Yes, had to have been. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna fact 100%, check. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Wait, maybe it wasn't. Was it not at the Rose Bowl? Maybe it was at the Meadowlands. I don't know. No, it was part of the Olympics, wasn't it? Or was it the World Cup? It was World Cup. Did I just? I might have just blown this entire thing. Because this kind of defeats my my point here of just iconic things happening. It might have been at the Meadowlands. <laughs> Is it at the Meadowlands? We're going. We're going. I will not move on until I figure this out right now. Because that's embarrassing if I kick that off with the Rose Bowl. And I mean, either way, the point still stands. I like the Rose Bowl. See, where is this held? Where? Okay. So it was the not final part of played the at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. Thank you. So I was gonna say okay. I'm pretty sure. So when we put the pretty when we, sure when we throw the podcast version, we can cut that entire thing because that was just me being a mess. But yes. So to my point, when I think of the Rose Bowl, that's like the number one thing that comes to mind. That iconic moment. Really? That's yes. awesome. Yes, it does. Hey, shout it, out that. It, that's, it really that's, does. That's, that's dope. But I think the Rose Bowl, like you know, you have two of the biggest football games of the year. At least you know it used to be. I don't know if they still do two of them there, but obviously so big time college football games played there at the Rose Bowl. Just a, an older venue, pretty iconic, some unbelievable matchups there in history. I think as far as football games go, if your team's playing in the Rose Bowl, you know, people show out. It's you know, it's yeah. a, obviously it's a it's a very important bowl game. So I would say there's a lot of football stadiums, like Notre Dame is another football. I've been to the Notre Dame Stadium to watch Michigan State. That was surreal just because I love the movie Rudy. So there's a couple, even the Coliseum in LA, there's a couple football stadiums where you look at it and go, you know, I'll be cool to be a part of that. But I would say the Rose Bowl for my for my first a, one to start that's off. That's a really great choice to start off. Wow. That's a good one. My first one, if we're going from five, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with Fenway Park as okay. my five. And I'm mad that you took that one. 
But I, anyway, you know, you took a lot of good ones too. Like that's just be, this was a very, very tough list. It, to make. it was because there are a lot of venues that I would love to see, atmosphere-wise. You know, you got. I'd have to do some research on like what gets rowdy, but Fenway's a. Great I would say one. yeah, there was a lot of places for me that came up in my mind that I just want to go to. Yeah, but I don't know necessarily if it's like, you know, kind of like the Rose Bowl. Like it's, I don't know if it's a place where it's like, oh, this is hallowed ground, but it's yeah. just like a place where I'm like, Julian would love to go to this. Yes. Um, but Fenway Park would be up there just to go there. Boston fans are a different breed to see <laughs> yeah. the green monster, the green wall, just right. Like there's just legends have been in that stadium exactly. and to be a part of that and to witness that and to see, see that. Like I, I think one of my favorite things is, is just looking at how baseball stadiums are built in the different yes. way. I mean, there's so many different stadiums and the way they're made. It's just it's so cool to me, and the history that's yeah. there is is unbelievable. And that's the thing too about baseball is like you know football, like you know it, it, it's. I know you have like your Lambos and your Soldier Fields that have been there for a while, and it's cool and all, and it's 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 cool to think you know how many people were packed into that spot watching football games when they were wearing leather helmets. But there's something about baseball stadiums, and you yeah. have a handful of parks. I'll throw Wrigley in there too as another one that I don't have on my list, but I've been to Wrigley. It's very surreal the first time being in there. I've never been to Fenway. It's on my bucket list to do. But there's something about baseball stadiums and just, you know, being embedded in the history of America and the original ones, like, you know, Fenway's like 100 plus years. Like, that's crazy to think. Insane. So, Fenway's a great one. I I definitely need to get there. Oh, that's a trip that I have to make. I will piggyback off of your baseball one, even though I probably wouldn't put this one after some other ones that I'm going to say Old Yankee Stadium. Now, if we're going past the present, one. I mean, Yankee Stadium, Murderer's Row, the, the Bronx Bombers, like that's that would have been awesome to see a game there. Oh, obviously, man. they did some, you know, renovating as the years went on, and it's now obviously no longer. I, I believe they tore it down. I, I think it's it's completely gone now. I think. I'm pretty sure. But either way, old Yankee Stadium screams like baseball. Like that is the foundation, the the heart the the heartbeat of of baseball in America would have been incredible to to see a game there, uh, but I you know obviously it's not there anymore. And you have the new Yankee Stadium, which would still be cool to see. But I would say <laughs> old Yankee Stadium for me as a baseball fan would have been awesome to see a game at. No, that's a that's a really good one. That's one that one thing, and I think you you said it definitely. But baseball stadiums just hold so much history. Yeah, and that's just a different feeling when you walk in a place and you could feel the history surrounding yep. it. That's that's a really good one. My next one. This is so tough because these all these places are just like number one. Like you have to go to. I'm gonna go with the palace as my fourth pick. I like pick. that. I just have always wanted to go to the palace, and it. Oh, I really thought you know I'm gonna go to Michigan State. I'm gonna have time. I'm gonna go to the palace. I love that. And now it's Little Caesars Arena. Yep. I will. You know, I, I I'm not gonna not gonna promise you anything, but I would say I had a an awesome internship experience last two summers with Olympia Entertainment, who also is obviously in the joint venture with the Pistons and Palace Sports Entertainment. Before they start tearing that baby down, we'll see if we can get you in there. Oh, that'd be beautiful. Obviously, seeing a, seeing a game there, I will. Some of my fondest sports memories as a kid were going to the Palace, Joe Louis Arena too. Mm, yeah, as a hockey fan, but Detroit has been very lucky with with their the Tiger Stadium was iconic too. Obviously, but the Palace was awesome, and I've been to. I think basketball's probably the one sport that I've been to the least visiting stadiums. I think I've only seen games at the Palace, Little Caesars Arena, and then wherever the Suns play, whatever that the Talking Stick Resort, whatever it is. Oh, yeah. I, to, I know exactly what you're yes, talking about. I've the been name to, is, yeah. I've been to two Suns games, but that's it. So I, I you know, but 
the palace is something different. I can guarantee you I'll probably never go to a basketball arena that was just that had the same feel, but we'll try to get you into the palace. That'd be that'd be so cool. I'm I glad that's I on your list. I love though. that. I love that venue, man. That's another one where it's, it's just name, like too. The name. his story, the palace, like yep. to be in there. Oh man. Awesome stuff. Uh my next one. I'll go Cameron Indoor Stadium, and, and I'd have to. I want to throw the honorable mention. The honorable mention here is Assembly Hall, just because of the Hoosiers. Like I think it'd be cool to just. I think the Hoosiers was filmed there, was it not? No, it, it wasn't. was filmed there. No, I, I don't think it was. That was, it was that was stupid. There. But just the idea of the Hoosiers in Indiana being a basketball town. I don't know why I felt like the Hoosiers was was filmed in there. That last game. I know it's obviously following like a high school basketball team. I don't know. Maybe that's stupid of me to say. I think it was because that was the, isn't that the whole shtick? This look at me going two for two with like not at all knowing where these <laughs> things have taken place. I thought that was the whole shtick of he goes on the court and he measures the rim as like it's ten feet off the ground. I think. Hold on, I'm gonna look this up too. I either way, Assembly Hall is is my runner up, but Cameron Indoor Stadium, notably to see a North Carolina and Duke basketball game because talk about atmosphere. I mean, I, I don't know why, like how I would ever acquire or get myself to acquire a ticket to one of those games, but that has to be the. I mean, you're in a basketball. It's not like you're in a football stadium where like there's it just opens yeah. up. You're in a basketball stadium or a basketball arena, whatever you want to call it, watching one of the greatest rivalries in sports, let alone basketball, sports in general. That would be a, an unbelievable event to go to. That'd be so cool. And no, where Hoosiers was filmed was the Hoosier Gym in Knightstown, Indiana. Wow, I really messed that up, didn't I? Well, a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Wait, the final Hold on. The final game... Was the final game somewhere? Was it in Assembly? It says the film's final game was shot in the same building that hosted the, in, the 1954 Indiana final, Butler University's Hinkle Fieldhouse. Okay, so completely off base. <laughs> Either way, Assembly Hall would be cool. But Cameron Indoor, whatever I just said. Both, both very, my very red. good. Where <laughs> are my cheek red? Very, very good. Uh, my next one, Pebble Beach. Yep, Pebble Beach is just an absolutely beautiful course. The water, the history, the gorgeousness of it all. The like pageantry. Uh, there's few, few play. I mean, golf courses very, very underrated as sports venues. Yes, very underrated. There's absolutely. no place better for peace, for serenity, for action. Great. Pebble Beach, up there. I will follow yours up with Augusta. And I know mm. you were not uh, n- not happy with me when I threw that on there because you probably want to say it yourself. Augusta and I, I have uh, a couple friends that went uh, this last year to the Masters. That's a trip. I, I just recently entered the lottery to get picked or whatever it is, like the, the raffle or whatever that you can do to try to get tickets. That is – I can't even – they don't let you bring your phones in. Yeah. Which is just that says it all. I mean, just the from the history of the Masters to the the people that have worn the green jacket to just how they operate and just they, they make it such a an experience. Like you're not just there to watch golf; you're there at the Masters, at the Mas- and yeah. just the the course is so beautiful and the food's cheap, <laughs> and it's just <laughs> I that's a, that's a talk about a bucket list thing to do. The Masters, unbelievable. Can't say enough. I'm just gonna tear up here. That's a that's a really good one. I love that. I love that. My next one is Center Court Wimbledon. Mm. I have always and I've always been very very jealous of shout out Joey Ellis. Um, but he's been able to go to the Open a bunch of times, and I believe he went to Wimbledon as well. I think. Um, 
but just tennis stadium, they have something different, man. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the TV, but I feel like they look so intimate and close. And I, that's something that I wanted to just feel and be a part of. And obviously the history of Wimbledon is just so, so amazing and beautiful. And to just go to that and see, you know, some of the top matches, especially if I was ever to go and watch like Serena play. Oh, oh, oh man. Oh, man. Oh, that's, man. That's good. That's, but that, that's a really good I love all those. That's got some great atmosphere, too, in a different way of like rah, rah crowd. It's just like it's like most people there are pretty wealthy, I I could imagine, right or no? Is that yeah, my but I feel like I, no, I definitely very wealthy people there. But I feel like it's a lot. Also, I mean, a little different too. But with like the Kentucky Derby, like everyone's there and it looks fancy and it looks yeah. wealthy. But like when it comes down to it, and it's like last game point, last match point, Serena for the Wimbledon. Like that's a rowdy, different kind yeah. of crowd, and I feel like that just be really cool to kind of be there and it's silent and you're just watching greatness play out. Like that just seems beautiful. beautiful. My my last one here, if you want to call my number one, sure. And you you just teased it, the Churchill Downs. Mm. I there is something to be said about how much of a spectacle you can make out of two minutes of sport being horse racing. Horse racing, yes. And I'm not a guy. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that like I you know I love sitting on my couch on a Sunday and just watching horses race for fun. But there's something about the Kentucky Derby that every single year it's like, okay, it's Derby Day. I got to lock in. You know, whether you're throwing money or not, to go to the Kentucky Derby and do it right and you get the outfit and you go with a group of friends, everyone's looking good. You know, you're doing a little drink and eating some good food. <laughs> but that venue and just what the Kentucky Derby represents, I just, I think of the Kentucky Derby as one of the last true connections to like real sports history. Like horse yeah. racing is like, you know, I who knows when that started being a thing. Like probably like Native American days. But it, like I said, something to be said about how you can take two minutes, a snippet in time, nothing in the grand scheme of the sports calendar year, and it's that much of a spectacle. That is a venue that I need to see soon, and I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it right when I go too. So that's that's a, that's a great one. I'll cap it off with that. I'm with you on that one. To cap mine off, one that. Gonna be making the trip pretty soon to go and see Madison Square Garden. Jeez. For me, it's just a just a basketball fan. Yeah. I've already I've been in the United Center a bunch of times, but a place like Madison Square Garden, like not only are we talking Knicks legends and other players like that, but just the fact that like a lot of players have had their career games in MSG. Like that's so much history. Yeah, to see all the celebrities on the if see if I ever was going to MSG and I saw like Spike Lee, oh. unbelievable. And Unreal. that's it's I I would say that Madison Square Garden, as far as like indoor arenas goes, like that's the mecca, I yeah, would say. It's a mecca. I mean, you talk about history, but it's just like it's it's New York, you know? It's like even like the Staples Center to me, the Staples Center just feels so fake to me because it's like it's newer. Yeah. But it's also like celebrities go just for like the clout of like being on TV. Being, yeah, being but LA, MSG like is like you're going to watch I sports needs the Knicks to be good again. Like so bad. I, like the Rangers obviously play there too, and I'd love to. I'd love to see a hockey game there, but basketball, Ooh, that, nice. basketball at MSG. I I agree with you. That's because it, it's different there. The fans are like it's not like LA where everyone's like, oh, I'm gonna yeah, watch yeah. the Lakers play. Yeah. It's gonna be a great game. It's like no, it's a bunch of die hard Knicks fans yeah. going out there at watching the some Knicks basketball at the Garden. Oh, garden, chills. Garden. Oh, like we have to. We have to wrap up. I, I, I love that. We have to end it on that accent. <laughs> I don't even. I don't know if I want you to say anything the rest of the show. You just you might have to talk. We'll, I can dip it up. We're gonna let's do a let's do a bet 
one of these days, and if you lose, I want you to speak in a Boston accent for an entire show. I could. Do, could oh, you do it? I could do it. I could do it. I could do it. The world needs that. The world needs it. What are we gonna talk? We gonna talk some baseball next? Playoffs. Playoffs. What are you talk about playoffs. The Red Sox aren't in the playoffs, so I don't really care anymore. That is our. That's incredible. I actually don't. That's kind of getting uncomfortable. But either way, that's our Sparty Awards, folks. Hope you enjoyed MLB playoffs. We bring on Luke Sloan. Gentlemen, doing there? Not bad, Luke. Not bad. I'm doing great. It's baseball season. I baseball mean, we, season. We, we got this football going on, hockey going on, basketball yes. going on. It is. It is absolutely peak October. And what convenient timing that we did. Did we talk playoffs last week? It was last week. We did. Yes, and, we and my did. predictions did. got absolutely blown up. So we 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 did and I Oh yeah, yours did yeah. get blown up. I was gonna say credit, to me, credit to me that I have both teams correct here. Um give yourself a pat on the back. Yeah, even though I could I had to narrow down from the one team that was up two nothing in the series that we all picked the nationals and then I hate the, well Julian had his Cardinals going to like six and obviously we Figured out how that went. Yeah, so, I hate to bring it up to you again. Yeah, you know, last oh, I week I forgot my yeah, broom. Yeah. I should have brought a broom. And I was sweeping Julie. I saw that some wow. Nationals fans. I really missed the Tigers in the playoffs. Oh, okay, oh, okay. enough. That, <laughs> enough. Know. Hey, this is enough. A, this no. is a sensitive enough time when we're going to see like Scherzer Verlander game oh, one. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh, dude, I don't I, know. I, I before we get into it all, I need Verlander Scherzer game seven for the pennant. <sighs> Or for the for the World Series, I would not be able to handle that. I would I would probably be crying the entire. I mean, it would just be <laughs> yeah. It would be some of the greatest baseball you've ever seen in your life. And those are two guys that should have won a World Series in this city. But I digress. Um, I I want to touch on the Cardinals for a second. Okay. Because they didn't just like get swept. Like they <laughs> got blown out like every game, which was surprising to me. So are you? I don't know. Are, were you angry, upset, mad, disappointed? Are you over it now? Like whatever. Like or are you like? I cannot believe that that's how this team decided to perform in those in those games. You know, it definitely hurts when you go and obviously the big hoorah of beating the Braves, thirteen runs. You're like, okay, this is it. This is beautiful. Keep it rolling, and then to like just whimper. They should have saved some of those runs. <laughs> yeah, it's they like, should have saved a few yeah. of them for saved. the other games. You were done. They would have like, gone to six. Ah, uh, but. So it hurt for a second, but I don't know. I'm kind of over it. I definitely looking at this season. There were moments where I was like, "Oh, okay, this isn't this isn't the year for the cards." Yeah, it's not gonna happen. Um, and just seeing it happen in the playoffs, like I kind of, you kind of have the feeling of maybe it was all too good to be true. Okay, and so you're not mad. You're more just like, okay, went that far. That's just it. That's just, and I think it was better just because of the team, the team you lose to. And I will say, if there was a team to lose to, not mad at the Nationals. Because I think that is a city, a city, a team that deserves what they're going to get now. And from being on the other side of it with, like, watching the Blues and that whole thing of, of winning one there, you know, you get happy now, I think, for the underdog. Yeah. And for the Nats to come out and do it. And also... I'm not a Bryce Harper guy, so this is like a big middle finger to Bryce Harper, and I was here. Really, for you're not a big Bryce Harper. guy? I don't guy. know if I'm the biggest Harper guy either. I really? see the memes on Twitter and stuff of him, like like the SpongeBob meme of him, like looking through the hey, window at the Nationals That's, running around. It's, it's the Twitter is it's sometimes funny. it's irritating, but the Phillies are a mess too. So I mean, yeah. he is pretty far away at this point but but julian i think to your point about the cardinals it, it was they were a team i i looked at this at this mlb playoffs and i think i said this last week too the yankees and astros were the only two teams that i thought legit had a chance coming yeah. out of the al 
Um, and obviously, I, I thought at the end of the day, I had the Astros, which, which they which they made it. And then from the NL side, it was just this weird mashup of teams of like the Dodgers were probably the team that most people thought. That was my like, World Series pick. Yeah, like that the, didn't go well. <laughs> the Nationals were like the team of destiny, but you had like the Braves and like the Cardinals, and you're just kind of like. Good teams, but teams that didn't really capture any storylines this year, in my opinion. Like, you know, the Brewers were in it for a hot sec, but I I, I don't think it was the Cardinals' year at all. And, like, you probably felt the yeah. same way as you said. It, just, it was just like the Cardinals have had some really awesome teams in the past, and they're kind of in this weird limbo of, like, they're like they're a great team, don't get me wrong, but they're not quite there to like get over the hump of like being a team to be at the end. So I just think it was like the proof was in the pudding almost. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think I was happy as a baseball fan to see them and the city of St. Louis back in the baseball picture because they'd had a postseason absence yeah. for, for a yeah. few years before this. And, you know, I've been to a Cardinals game, you know, Julian St. Louis, the connection. You know, it's a great baseball town. I mean, they're, yep. the, they're the Yankees of the National League yeah. in terms of their history. I mean, and I, I think their future is relatively bright. I mean, I like Mike, Mike Schilt. Schilt. That's it. Yes. I like yep. him as a, that's a name. I like him as a manager. I think they're young starting pitching, Jack Flaherty, Dakota Hudson. I mean, there there's a lot of a lot of intrigue there. You know, they're going to have to give Marcelo Zuna a contract. You know, they still have Dexter Fowler on the books. He didn't play well in the postseason. There's still some question marks, but yeah. I think that's a franchise that is ascending. I, they'll back it up, especially with the way they played the second half of the year. I mean, like some one somebody on their team said that they treated every game like an elimination game, and they really caught fire at the end of the year. Took advantage of when yep. the Cubs really stumbled. Now we'll get into last night's game, Astros Yankees. That was Game Six, correct? Yes. Wow. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. Not for the you, of heart. Unbelievable. You got. This is why I just I love I effing love baseball so much because of what happened last night. Your team's down two runs with one out in the top or the top of the ninth. And LeMayhew goes yard. And like that is because baseball is awesome because all it does is take one swing of the bat and the game is completely different. And I'm sitting there like, all right, like you know, whatever, like he'll get the save here and we'll get two more outs and the season's over. Nope. Two-run home run, top of the ninth. We got a tie ball game. And we could have been watching that game for two more hours based on how close he's in baseball. I wanted extras. Great. I wanted extras. I think Major League Baseball... From a production standpoint, and you know, I'm not a huge Joe Buck guy. That, he, he his does, call, his all two day call was really was great. good. He does a he does a good enough job of like you hang on to every because runs are so precious and like people like you know during the during the year like obviously you get excited for runs like you know whatever game. 138 like you score around like oh yeah cool but like runs and runs in the playoffs are just it's like you could have a game that ends one nothing exactly they so matter a, so much yes and then you have and, and i julian and i admittedly were talking about what to do for the sparty awards i wanted to do like greatest like sports plays like the walk-off yeah. home run being a play maybe we'll save that for a rainy day but put it in the uh, the walk-off home run, and of course, Altuve is just such a likable guy. But in Chapman, like, I don't know how you go back-to-back slider. I don't know how you throw the ball 100 miles per hour, get him with the fastball. But either way, I'm glad that he hit it out. He hit it out. But just from the look on Chapman's face to just being a no doubter in the call, and it was so loud. It was awesome. 
you know, to quote Justin Verlander, I love Jose Altuve <laughs> as well. He's the average fan's, you know, like the most likable player. I mean, you know, he's not large in stature. He's just, you know, the average guy going out there and swinging the bat. He was there when they were really, really bad. And yep. he's now seeing them, you know, go to another World Series, which they're going to be favored in. But, I mean, he crushed that. He crushed that to left center field. Just awesome. Though. You knew it like, off the bat. Yeah. That's the special thing about playoff baseball and really baseball in general. It's everything, like you said, everything can change in an instant. The whole stadium just erupts. All the little details, the runs, pitch selection, strategy. I mean, there was a lot with like stealing signs in this series. Yep. All the little details just get magnified when the playoffs come along, and it's just magical. It's it's definitely baseball takes it up a notch yes. in terms of the details and the intricacies of the game. Like I, I definitely think during the season you have moments of that, but in the playoffs, like I think that's what makes every run precious is that everyone's up another level. Managing is taken up, players go up a level, and it's just every little thing begins to matter. And I think that's the really true beauty of it. And it's such a game that while it is you do have your unpredictability of it and that one swing of a bat can happen. It's also a game where you can like analyze and look at it and say, Oh, back to back sliders, not a great move. Yeah. And it, it's just like it's <laughs> such a mental but also just emotional game. And to see how Tuve hit that out, I mean, like you said, he's been there for the losses. He's been there for yeah. it all. For him to cap it off is truly just beautiful. And it's just like that game to me is such a bigger sign of where baseball is and how the Yankees I mean, they are baseball. Yeah. That's that's what this people was, think of when they think of the MLB. Yeah. But last the Astros, year was supposed to be their year. This year was supposed to be their year. I'd be kind of nervous if I was a Yankees fan right now. Exactly. But the Astros have taken the moment. Like this is the team now. Is the Houston? They have made moves to maximize their window of opportunity. They've gone out. They've gotten the guys they've wanted, and now they are kind of in effect, at least for this you know decade or less, the team. The team in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I don't like the Yankees too in that series. I don't think they really played to their fault. That that lineup is like you'd think they're bound to get it done. Yeah, you I know? agree. And like, you, they still their window's still open. They have yeah, some yeah, some great young sure. players. But it's just like at the end of the day, dude, it comes down to pitching. I really worry about their pitching moving forward. I didn't think they did enough last offseason to address their pitching. Trade deadline they, either. They did. They, they yeah, they didn't do anything at the deadline when other teams around them made moves. You know, we'll see if they ship guys in or out, if they trade a bat to get a starter, if they go on the... I mean, Garrett Cole, who's going to be pitching in this World Series, they could throw a bag of money at him. Yep. I mean, they're going to have to address the pitching. I think that's what it came down to in the series for the Yankees. And I don't know, it was just weird seeing, you know, small amounts of runs up on the board late in games with, with how many bats they have in the lineup. Exactly. I do want to mention, too, before we move into the final... Uh, CC Sabathia, hats off to him on an yeah. amazing career. All that's of fame a guy, career. yes, that's a guy who growing up too, being a Tigers fan, I always loved when CC would pitch against the Tigers because he's just a likable guy. It broke just a big he is, dude. He is. It broke my heart to have him. It was nice to see the the ovation he got at Yankee Stadium when he walked off the mound, yeah. but it broke my heart to see him throw three pitches in such a big spot and have to leave due to injury. He couldn't. Yeah, he and couldn't he pitch. and he threw pitches after he dislocated his, or separated his shoulder too. Like he threw over a ninety pitches. miles an hour too. Yeah, which was just he's a he's a grinder. Great great career for him. Always loved watching him play. Class act of a guy. Don't but... like the Yankees. I enjoy him. Right, exactly. But I will move into the final series here. Uh, this first game, I. I hate how I have to wait till Tuesday to see this, even though it's like literally two days away. But <laughs> Astros, Nationals, the stage is set. The first game is on Tuesday, as I mentioned. 
Uh, I think we gave our predictions last week, but now that you've seen the stage kind of set, as your opinion changes all or where you're looking now, you had the Yankees to win, didn't you? I did. I had the Yankees winning in six, and I'm going to go with the Astros in six as well. I mean, they're just, you know, if you think of dynasties in sports, you know, your Patriots dynasties, your Lakers dynasties. I mean, this is a likable and strong dynasty. I think they could that has the potential to rip off, you know, a championship this year and maybe another one next year. I mean, this this crew is going to be around for a minute on Houston. But when I look at this series, I'm a big starting pitching guy. My favorite baseball games are the really low scoring ones where both starters yep. go seven plus, and it's just madness. You know, people are hanging on every pitch. <laughs> but the starting pitching matchups we're going to see are going to be unbelievable. You could see, I mean, Verlander, Garrett Cole, Zach Rinke, even though he struggled. And then on Washington's side, Patrick Corbin, Strasburg, um, uh, Scherzer, obviously. There's going to be some mammoth pitching matchups that we didn't necessarily see in the Yankees-Astros series. Right. You know, more on the Yankees' end of things. But, I mean, you you talk about some absolute horses that want to take the ball for their team. Plus, those Nationals pitchers are going to be hungry. And yeah. those Astros pitchers have been there. So it's going to be really exciting. That's what I look. For. That's what I really see in this series that pops out to me. Yeah, pitching is definitely the biggest thing. I think at the end of the day, and I'm not going to change my pick. I went with the national. I believe I went with the Nationals. I think, I think in like six. Yeah, six. I think six games. Um, and I'm going to go with it. I'm still going to ride with the team of destiny. But I think you look at that other side, and while the Nationals pitching is great, that Astros lineup, a team of vets, experienced guys who have been there before. I mean, you saw it with the Yankees, and you see Altuve hit it out. They're so patient They're, and composed. Exactly. I mean, they take pitches. They take their walks. They're just, you know, I think from Michael Brantley on down, even the young guys on their team have bought in. They're just in control of the moment when they're in the box and some big moments. So Exactly, and I think that if, you, if you're if you going to go out and go with the Astros, that is going to be the difference, is the fact that that lineup, those guys are ready to play and have been in this moment before. I do believe in the Team of Destiny thing. I don't remember what my exact World Series prediction was. like. I know I had Nationals and Astros. Um, I just I see the Astros are more of experience an experienced team. They've been there. It felt like for a long time the Nationals were this like fake team that was like going to yeah. somehow get in and like probably be out immediately for years. But yeah, but as we said, they're the, they're the team of destiny. Like they're they're here now. Um I just think that National League side was much weaker than the AL side this year in the playoffs. It usually is. I I it'd be cool to see Scherzer win one. I think it'd be cool for the city. I always love when teams get their first one. But I love Verlander. I want him to win another one. The Astros, I just think, are, are, are too much. I'll, I'll give it to the Astros. I would say in probably five, it could go six. If Scherzer squeaks, you'll win there. Um, and maybe you, you get lucky somewhere else. Um, but I think the Astros will do it pretty easily. But for now, we'll close the book on the playoffs. The kibosh on it. Put the kibosh on it. We'll be talking about it next Sunday. Um, Luke Sloan, we'll keep you on here as we're rolling through. we got about For 20 sure. minutes left. Sounds great. Um, Michigan State does have a football game next week. Oh, man. Believe Let's it or not, not do. think they about do. that just Believe yet. it or not, Michigan State and Penn State, 330 kick from Spartan Stadium. Um, I don't know if you guys watched the game last night, Michigan State and Penn State. I'm sorry, Michigan and Penn State, rather. Um, what do you guys think as far as Penn State coming in here? Has your, your expectations for Michigan State football now just faltered so low that we were like, this game might be a blowout, or do you actually enjoy the matchup that you see for Michigan State this week? You know, I 
early in the day watching that Illinois game, looking yeah. further ahead to Michigan State's schedule, I'm like, okay, this this Illinois team is, you know, formidable. I mean, they have a couple running backs. Brandon Peters is, you know, one of the best quarterbacks they've had in a long time. But looking in the near future with this Penn State game, I really like this Penn State team. I mean, I know they didn't blow out Michigan like many thought they would or wanted them to, but they have multiple, you know, they had, they've had they had Saquon Barkley in the past, obviously, you know, a running back they go to a lot, but they have multiple running backs that they utilize. Uh, K.J. Hamler is, I think he's going to be playing on Sundays. I mean, he mm-hmm. just screams NFL slot receiver. You know, he's a dangerous guy that the Spartans are going to have to watch for. And on defense, too, a really disciplined defensive effort from them last night. They're they're as strong as ever this year. And I think, you know, that's a testament to Franklin, James Franklin, their head coach, and the program that he's built up there. I mean, you lose McSorley, you lose Barkley. I mean, they've lost a lot of guys. Last year it was, who's the running back at this with the Eagles now? Uh, San, Miles Sanders? Yes, yeah. Miles Sanders. I mean, it seems like every year they have what they need. Their program is healthy, and it's going to be a whale of a game for Michigan State when they come in here next Saturday. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a tough one. This Penn State team looks good. They look really good. And like you said, Luke, they have guys all across the field. And honestly, I just I just don't know what to think of the Michigan, Michigan State team anymore. I just it, – it's tough to go in and say, oh, this is a team that can pull off this game against Penn State. Because now this team, they look good. And I will say Michigan has not been the team that everyone thought they were going to be coming into the season. But they went out and – Although the score is 28-21 and Michigan did have a chance to win that game, I did kind of feel like Penn State had it for most of it. They were the better team. They were the, the better team. Time. They were the better team. And I just I, I just don't know. I have, This Penn State team looks good. This Michigan State team. I mean, Michigan put up 21. I don't know if Michigan State does that. Interesting. I, can't, I personally can't see it happening. And I can't see it. I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I haven't looked at the forecast yet, but this has the feel of a game it might snow for. Like, I say this like – not looking at the weather at all, but this just feels like one of those games that's going to be a brutal weather day where they just yeah. can't move the football. And well, I mean, they can't move the football when the weather's nice, but that's a story for another. I want to. I want to bring up our. I know Alex McCray had some thoughts last week during the Wisconsin game. Fakaru has that song queued up that he wanted to play. And that was awesome. I love this. Is football is a touchdown. Oh yeah. Timeout. This is unbelievable. Timeout. Absolutely. This is quality it. content. Michigan State's defined themselves as a Mac football team. Mac football team. <laughs> Mac football team. <laughs> McCray yes, is just the so, best. So McCray is defining Michigan State as a Mac football team. I don't clearly based on the the song. So clearly, there. he said it what twice, three times. I don't know Run if I'd back. go. I don't know if I'd go with that. But um, I always looked at this Penn State game as a game where you're going to get like a, a a pretty quality win here at Spartan Stadium. I don't feel as confident now. I actually think James Franklin kind of stinks. I don't like last, him as a coach. Dude, the last like two minutes of that second quarter yesterday, I had no idea what was going on. Like Penn State, just like they get they get the ball back with two minutes left, and it's like they literally got rid of the ball in thirty seconds. Then he called the timeout on third down before he punted. Yeah. Uh, what? It confuses me so much. Kind of like know. the Ohio State call last year. Oof. I think James Franklin is like the only thing that could like cost Penn State a loss. Who knows, man? I mean, like Mark D'Antonio could get these guys to rally, uh, and 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 they come out and, and win and surprise you. Now you're looking and scratching your head, like, well, what the hell? I mean, the Wisconsin loss looks bad now because they just lost to Illinois. I hate when people do that too. It's like, oh, Wisconsin lost to Illinois. How bad does the loss look now? It's like people, you can beat anyone on any given day. You can yeah, in any sport. That's... 
You can. That's the beauty of sports. Hey, look at the Tigers playing the Astros. Remember when they were like the yeah, worst underdog yes, in Major League history yes, last exactly. and they August? Won. They won that ball game going up against Verlander. And they won. Um, I, don't I think have... it was Ronnie Rodriguez uh, who yes. hit a big home run. Oh, I don't that's... have like a spread or anything on this game yet because it is only Sunday. Whatever this ESPN matchup predictor has like a 70% chance for Penn State to win. But I think it will be a better game than people expect nonetheless. Uh, Michigan State's defense, while they've been exposed, I think there's you know they still can compete enough to maybe you know put the kibosh on put the kibosh on. on some offensive effort. It's just gonna be a matter of again, can you can you score the football? Exactly. Penn State didn't look tremendous to me, but whatever. And I definitely think yeah, if you look if you look at this game, Penn State is not Wisconsin. And obviously, you look at Wisconsin now, and you're like, "Oh, we lost Illinois." But Wisconsin is a is a really good football team. I don't think Penn State is at that level. This is a much closer game in terms yes. of matching up better. The question is: Is Michigan State going to be able to rally? Right. That that's the biggest question. You know, it really wouldn't surprise me that much if they if D'Antonio and you know Mike or Tressel if they put together a focused game plan, it wouldn't really surprise me at all if they came out looking adequate in this game. You know. Maybe take an early lead, at least look competent on defense, you know, have some plays scripted on offense. I mean, it wouldn't really blow me away if they came out looking strong, but I just don't think they have the, the like you said, I don't, I don't think they can rally this year. They just don't seem to have that in them. I think when they go down, it's just over. I mean, there was yeah. no fight in that Wisconsin game. No fight. I mean, yep. that's just a demoralizing team to play, though, because Wisconsin's going to pound it down your throat with the run game and Jonathan Taylor and as tough as they come on defense. So, but nevertheless, Penn State is definitely a different look, but I can see it's it's going to be an interesting result. That game will kick at 3.30 from Spartan Stadium on Saturday. Uh, it is Sunday. We're getting towards Sunday. the end of the show. So it is time for the picks. Uh, Luke Sloan, if you don't mind sticking around here. It would be my pleasure. Football, ba- baseball. Yes, we got it all. all. my favorite sports. Oh, my. You're Here's... a utility player. You yes, got I am. I'm like John Kelly. He's in the World Series. <laughs> I think this is where Hikaru, we have a, do you have your, your song, Hikaru, do you want to play? Our Motown Rundown song? Oh, yes. <laughs> get him, get him, get him, get him, get him! Back him up! Is that Kyle? Yes, Man, I felt bad for my guys. That that must have been brutal on you guys. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a tough tough day for us but, uh, <laughs> I just love Collins yelling get out of the well, background yeah. Trent, like Adrian Naraki Trent Valley who is in Detroit right now at Ford yes. Field for the game he is someone that does not lose his cool he is he has it in neutral 24 <laughs> 7 365 that, his it was so his post-game Snapchat story was was hilarious. Yeah, almost, like a little tears, almost in tears but anyway hopefully a little bit uh a little bit better news for the Lions fans this week, hopefully. But we will get into the picks. Uh, still don't know what our records are. We'll figure that out at a later time. No clue. Doesn't really matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter. We just Who keep cares? going. We're just doing it to do it. Uh, first game of the week here, Arizona Cardinals at the New York Giants. The Giants are a three-point favorite. You know, give me the Giants three-point favorite. I'll take them to cover in this game. You know, Daniel Jones, I, I like the tools he's brought to the table as a quarterback. It's going to be interesting seeing a matchup between him and Kyler Murray in this game. A couple of rookie standout quarterbacks. Murray played pretty well in this game. But I like the Giants. They're better than they were last year. Yeah, Saquon's back this game. Correct? He's I, back. Yes, he is. Yeah, he's back. He's back. The bad man is back. I'm going with the New York football Giants in this one. I'll take the Giants, too. Uh, the Cardinals, to me, are still a struggling football team. And I, 
I'm glad Kyler Murray's kind of coming around, but I would like to think that the Giants could actually win a game at home and by more than three points. So give me the Giants. Texans at Colts. This line has moved a lot. The Colts are now only a one-point favorite at home. You know, Deshaun Watson, someone really, really impressive. I mean, he's launched himself into the MVP conversation. I was listening to First Take, and they were kind of talking about that last Monday after last Sunday's game where they knocked off the Chiefs. I like him and his Texans today. The Colts, you know, still in that Andrew Luck hangover. I like Deshaun Watson to go in there, and I think they win by a couple scores, honestly. Yeah, I like Watson as well. Texans have looked good. I like where Watson's at. I liked how he's been this season. He's looked good. Said Dark Horse MVP candidate. I think he's in there, and I'm going with the Texans. Colts are coming off a bye week. I think they do it here. I know this line has moved. Like I think it was like a two and a half or three earlier in the week. I don't know, man. Something about the Texans, they just doesn't seem right. They're a weird team. Every time you expect them to win, they don't. And yep. every time you don't expect them to win, they, they do. do. Exactly. Yep. Uh, I think the Colts are going to take this one, obviously, by more than one point. Give me the Colts. Dolphins at Bills. The Bills are a 17-point favorite at home. Wow. You know what? I'm going to take the Dolphins in the points in this one. A lot of points. I think the Bills Bills will come away with the victory, but 17 points. That's a lot of points. i got to take the Dolphins in the points, but they're terrible. Bills, I like them. I like Josh Allen. I think he he could be a playmaker in this league. You know, sloppy Buffalo weather. 17 points is way too many. Yeah, Dolphins cover, Bills win. That's just, it's an easy one. Yeah, it's it's a lot of points, (laughs) and I think that if, if the Dolphins don't cover this for me, I'll probably never take the Dolphins again. I don't think the Bills' offense is good enough to put up. I mean, they might even win by. I mean, I don't know. It could be a it could be a sixteen nothing game. Yeah, I don't know who runs the football. Their for defense them is their defense is great. The Bills, I will say that. But I'll I will take the Dolphins here Dolphins, to cover seventeen. Dolphins won't score, you know, ten. Hopefully, we'll see. Uh, Raiders at Packers. The Packers are a four and a half point favorite. You know, everyone's talking about this as like their upset pick of the week. But I like the Packers big in this one. I like them to cover those four and a half points and win big with Aaron Rodgers and company. Aaron Jones just traded for him in fantasy last week. I need a big game out of him if I want to win this week. <laughs> go, Pack, go. You know, I'm going to be the Lions, a Lions slappy in this one. Give me the Raiders. You know, it always comes back around, and the yes. Packers are about to get smacked in the face. Give me the Raiders. Yeah, karma is a mother. So I will take the Raiders here. I actually think that the Packers are going to win. I'm not going to take the Raiders to win here. Um, I do think that the Raiders will somehow keep this close because I don't actually trust the Packers to, like, blow them out. This I don't is a know. better Raiders team. Derek Carr looks more comfortable in Gruden's offense. Yep. They run the football efficiently. It's a better Raiders team. Yep, but Raiders it is for me. Jacksonville at Cincinnati. The Bengals are a four-and-a-half-point underdog at home. You know, honestly, I see this as a game the Bengals come away with. I mean, I figure... I'm not an Andy Dalton guy. I'm not a Cincinnati Bengals guy. But Jacksonville, you know, they they might have a little bit of a a Ramsey hangover. We talked about an Andrew Luck hangover. We'll see where their heads are in this game. You know, Minshew mania kind of has slowed down the last couple weeks. I don't know. I see this as one of those really weird games that the Bengals just end up coming away with. But Andy Dalton, the Bengals, not high on them. Yeah, I just don't see that. Give me the Jags. I Minshew Manning is going to come back. He's going to show you all that. I you hope know, he hey, does. He's coming he's back. He's got some swag. And I definitely, you know, I think they were done with Ramsey. Move on to the next. Yeah. I. Uh, the Bengals stink. Their coach stinks. I don't hate Andy Dalton. But I'm taking the Jaguars here and pretty big. The Bengals are very bad. That's my upset. <laughs> big upset bit of the week. Rams of the week. Rams at Falcons. The Falcons are a three-point underdog at home. 
I don't know how they're only a three-point underdog. Anyway, Luke's low. I like the Rams big in this one. I am really not too excited about the Falcons this year. I think that Dan Quinn is probably about to be fired after this season. Yep. With the amount of talent that they have on both sides of the ball, it's unacceptable for them not to be in the playoff conversation. Rams coming off a loss to San Francisco. Sean McVay, they're going to be out to prove something, and I think they go win big. Yeah, give me the Rams in this one as well. I have I have not been high on the Rams, but I agree with you. They're going to come back, look for a bounce back, win a statement win. Ramsey active, too. Ooh. So he'll be suiting up. Yeah, I'll take the Rams here. I don't know. Clearly, Vegas knows something that I don't with the Falcons only being a three-point underdog. But I'll take the Rams here. Uh, 49ers at Redskins. The Redskins are a 10-point underdog at home. You know what? Once again, I didn't like that spread with uh, Buffalo and uh, the Dolphins, but I'll take the 49ers all day in this game. They're a little bit banged up on the front right now. Don't have their fullback. Don't have a couple of their tackles. But the Redskins... I mean, there are some bad teams in the NFL this year, <laughs> yes. and the Redskins are firmly in that conversation. Yes. I'll take the Niners big. Yeah, 49ers are good. You can say it now. 49ers <laughs> win this one pretty easily. The Redskins stink. Give me the 49ers. Simple. Chargers at Titans. The Titans are a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home. You know, Tannehill going in that game for the Titans, I believe. I'll take the Chargers in this one. I like Anthony Lynn as a coach. I think he's not going to be happy with their effort against Pittsburgh last week. I think they come out focused. Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers will not let his team lose to the Tennessee Titans who are floundering. I'll take the Chargers. This is a flip for flop for me. I'm just going to go with the Titans in this one. Okay. They're, they're another weird team. They are weird. Yeah, they're very Not they're as just, weird as I the I thought they were going to be good at the beginning yeah, of the year. Now they've kind of leveled off. But I'm going to take the Chargers. I think the Chargers are they're in a weird spot here where they're going to have to get it together quick if they want to go to the playoffs and they'll get it done today. Uh, Give me the Chargers. Ravens at Seahawks. Seahawks, a three-point favorite. I'll take the Seahawks in this one. This is a game. This is the game I have circled for this week, though. Two teams that like to rely on defense. Two teams that like to pound the football. It's going to be a ball control, defensive-oriented game. I'm really excited to watch it. I'll take the Seahawks in this one. I think that that division runs through Seattle this year. Yeah, give me the Seahawks. Russell Wilson has been great this season. MVP candidate. I think he outduels Lamar Jackson in this game. I'll take the Seahawks here, too. They, like, sneaky, only have one loss this year. I feel like people aren't giving them enough credit. I'm they certainly have a good not. team. Wilson, Russell Wilson, there's another MVP candidate. Wilson's yep. not getting enough credit. I think he's I starting agree. to be he looked at. He never does, yeah. though. But Every year he doesn't get enough for credit. For the way he's been playing, no interceptions. Yep. But I'll, great. I'll take the Seahawks today. Saints at Bears. The Bears are a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I like the Saints in this one. I'm not – who's playing quarterback for the Bears? Is Trubisky back? Good Honestly, question. I haven't paid no attention. No idea. Don't care. <laughs> you know, I like the Saints. Teddy Bridgewater is just getting it done, filling in for Drew Brees, and they've won with their defense. I like them to do that again today against the Bears. Yeah, Saints have been getting it done. They find another way to get it done against the Bears. Saints are my team. Sneaky my team I like this year. Sneaky. They I'm give me no reason not to trust them, and I won't not trust them today. Give me the Saints to win. Eagles at Cowboys, both of these teams stink. This division stinks, but the Cowboys are a a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home. You know, Jason Garrett is coaching for his job at this point. I am not a (laughs) fan of him. You know, people are talking about Lincoln Riley going to Dallas to coach the Cowboys. I think that would be a good move, but I think Garrett gets his squad together for this one, and I think they win. It's at Jerry World, I do believe. I think it is. Yeah, yeah, I think they get this one together. Give me the Eagles in this one. Jerry, fire your man Jason. Let him go. He's bad. I I think this, if the Cowboys lose this game, this might be Jason Garrett's last game in the NFL. (laughs) Coaching in the NFL. (laughs) But give me the Eagles here. Patriots at Jets. 
The Jets are a nine and a half point underdog at home. You know what? This is not the sleeper Patriots game that they lose. Patriots all day. Sorry, Carson Hathaway. <laughs> Our resident Jets fan. Patriots big. Give me the Pats. Give me the Pats. I wanted to go Jets so bad, but I just don't see it. Give me the Pats. What's my rule about the Patriots? You never Never. bet against the Patriots. Give me the Patriots here. Last game of the week. Vikings at the Lions in a very hostile Ford field. The Lions are a a two-and-a-half-point underdog. Luke Sloan. Lions all day in this one. Trent's down there right now. Ian Drummond from Impact is down there right now. Go Lions in this one. Lions easy win big trends on the field with his shirt off one pride baby people forget henry menegos is a vikings fan and he's going to be very very sad at the (laughs) end of this game today over there kirk cousins kirk cousins has had a couple good games in a row here and he's due for one of his nine for 30 105 yard game and four interceptions two of which resulting in touchdowns for the lions to win 72 to nothing give me the lions here those are the picks. Love That's it. it. We're all on the same page Boom. with the Lions. Those are the picks. All right, what a show it has been, and now my computer is shutting down on me. I don't understand why. Why do these things happen to me? Either way. Your computer knows. It knows the show's over. Either way. Time to go Luke home. Luke Sloan, thank you for being here. No to problem, all of our sir. guests today, Hikaru Kudo behind the glass, Henry Menegos on the updates. We'll be here next Sunday and every Sunday, folks. Boom. For Julia Mitchell, I'm Ryan Rabinowitz. Thank you for tuning in. We will see you next week right here on the Green and White Report. You have been listening to The Green and White Report on WDBM. For all your sports news and notes, go to impact89fm.org slash sports.